And, you know, the, we'd watch these insane documentaries from the 70s that were like, there was some guy that was like a 70s washed up pop star who's sitting there explaining how nobody questions Julius Caesar's existence. And there aren't even that many records of him. And I'm like, I mean, do you, do you really not see the difference between him? Sir, if you wouldn't mind, like... everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam i'm casey and i'm jeremiah and, and here we uh, are <laughs> doing a podcast wow energy's real good tonight boys yeah, yeah. um okay so I, i'm just gonna jump into the meat here because yeah. i feel like we're we're a little late to this story um i i didn't know that it had happened and i don't even remember what triggered me this morning to look it over but uh, I mean, it might have been Tim Dillon was talking about it or something like that. But you bought the aftermarket NFTs from Trump's trading cards and spent way too much on them. Is that because you missed the original cutoff date? Is that yeah, what happened? I, I commissioned a Comic Con artist to trace them for me. So I skirted that ninety dollar fee. Yeah. Well, you would have bought more, but all your money was tied up in FTX, right? <laughs> Dude, I think I wish my money was tied up at FTX. I got freaking Dogecoin and Shiba. <laughs> Which I'm sure you bought at the peak, right? Yeah, I mean, you buy, buy high and never sell. That's the plan, you know? Well, I, I checked the other day. I still have two shares of GameStop. I hadn't checked the share price in about a year and a half. It's about 20 bucks. It's not going great. No. <laughs> I wouldn't expect that to be going well. I mean, yeah. their used games are only 10% off full retail price. Let's come on, GameStop. Speaking of GameStop, I'm sorry. I realize I'm derailing really quickly here. I actually had to go have a retail experience with GameStop recently, and I hated it. It's I, awful I in there. Their, I wish their share price was lower. I bought a PS5 late one night. I already have a PS5, but someone who works for me had mentioned that they were trying to find a PS5 and still hadn't been able to find one. So I was up late at night. You know how it is. You're browsing the internet. You go on slick deals. GameStop has PS5s in stock, and I just bought one immediately. And a, and a stall with a hole in the door. <laughs> uh, and I bought it. I'm like, look, if he doesn't want it, I'll just, you know, I'll re- I'll cancel the order or something. It's no big deal. I talked to him the next day because it was refurbished. He didn't want it. He did want to get a new one. So I was like, it's totally fine. I'll cancel it. Well, the order looker upper thing could not find my order on GameStop's website. Come I tried on. a bunch of different times. They're like, that order doesn't exist. And I'm putting in all the info from the email they sent me. So then I emailed their customer support and included the order number. And they wrote back to me three days after the console shipped to tell me, oops, it's too late. Sorry, but you can just return it. So I take it into a GameStop to return. And the guy was very confused the whole time. Like he wasn't sure because I would bought it using PayPal with like a credit card tied to my PayPal account, like just to avoid creating an account. And that was a big deal. And he wasn't sure if we could do that in the store and he might have to do it digitally. And he called his supervisor and it was like a 30 minute process to just bring in a new, like a sealed box and go, I no longer want the thing that arrived yesterday. Here's the receipt. Can I have my money back? (laughs) I think it's because one of the job requirements to work at GameStop is you have to have gotten about four hours of sleep before you went to work and shown up incredibly high. 
Well, there was because it's just one kid working there and like a UPS driver shows up while he's in the middle of working with me and he has like two pallets of stuff for him and he's got a bunch of stuff that has to be mailed out and he's apologizing to me and running around and there's three people in the store who all want to buy something. It's like, yeah, of course this isn't going to work well. Like, <laughs> Is there ever more than three people in a GameStop store? <laughs> just being kind of sad. Not anymore. It's weird. Well, then, I went in for the first. Like, I, I hadn't been in a GameStop in... Uh, years i i would guess um a couple of years at least and now that i have a ps5 i was like maybe they have some used games i'll go check out what's around and uh four dollars off yeah i stopped in i was like there's two people here there's two greasy haired motherfuckers behind the counter just like talking about anime and then they like (laughs) look at you like after you're there for like five minutes and you're about to walk out the store like uh can i help you and i'm like no, they're like, all right. All well, right. <laughs> when they were trying to figure out the whole, like, can you actually give me a refund for the thing I purchased for your company? Uh, one of the things he said was like, well, if I can't charge it back to that, like I could maybe give you store credit. And I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't really want store credit. He was like, well, we, we, $500 in GameStop store credit. Well, he said, a lot well, of pop vinyl figures with that. Well, he said, I, he said, I do have a, I have brand new PS fives in stock. And I was like, Oh, like I could, I could get one of these. Cause it's like, it's not refurb. So Maybe the guy would want it. He's like, well, the only thing is it is the like the God of War Ragnarok edition. So it's actually 570 because it comes with the game. And I was like, that's totally fine. Like, I wanted to play that game. That's no big deal. So uh, I'm about to call the guy that like my the guy works for me to ask him like, hey, do you want me to just go ahead and swap it for this one? And he's like, yeah, you just have to be a GameStop Pro Rewards member to buy it. Oh, and I was like, and at that point, at that point. Like the Bible says, my heart was hardened. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way you're getting any of my money today. Like just on principle, I know it's not this kid's fault, but I'm like, not a dime. <laughs> I want all my money back. I'm leaving. <laughs> Did you oh remember like the disappointment that came with like taking stuff into trade? Yes. <laughs> it's like, you're like, I have a PS5 like, and 36 games. And they were like, how does $34 sound? That's a- oh, it's the most, it was like the most miserable experience. I remember <laughs> taking like a PS, a PS2 and like 40 games in there. Like everything that I had gotten over the years into GameStop to try to trade off on a 360 or something like that, whatever the next one was. And uh, they like total them all up. It takes forever. You know, and then they get all the way to the end and they're like, uh, okay, well, this is 65, 74. Um, you want store credit or what? I was like, I can't, what? Like, <laughs> I don't have enough money to even buy the new one. Like, <laughs> it's like when you uh, cash in tickets at a uh, arcade and you realize that, like, <laughs> You get like the same exchange rate. Yeah, you think you're loaded. You're like, I got like three thousand tickets, and then you "You can get the giant lollipop. Yeah, (laughs) totally doesn't sell for six dollars. Is this an American ticket prices or Canadian ticket price? (laughs) Dude, speaking of uh, terrible shopping experiences, I I got to keep my voice down so I don't spoil Christmas. But. It's Christmas shopping the other day and do this ASMR. This is an awkward way to find out. April doesn't listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She can hear through the wall. (laughs) um, So I went into Victoria's secret alone, which is awful. Yeah. I mean, that's like an experience like tailor made to like terrify a, a Christian kid. Just to paint a picture, Casey no. has a Cabela's hat on right now, and there is a shotgun hanging on the wall behind him, listeners. 
Yeah, just I, I kind of scene of the feller that's lost yeah. his way into Victoria's Secret. I play what? coy because I'm a little shy. I'm like, y'all got any of them underwear? <laughs> <laughs> little, but you little Christian kids who uh, they don't feel awkward in there. They just like stand outside and pop a boner in their sweatpants while looking at the posters hanging on the glass. <laughs> you feel bad mall? about this later they're at the mall pitching a tent and the was in like, your mall was the picture place like you know the picture people place where you can do like group photos and stuff was that right across the, from the victoria's secret at your mall too i don't know mm. if this picture places no it's just I don't like know. where you bring in your family and they've got like the photo backgrounds and they just you know oh, you like just go the, get like a pose the mills Turtleneck yeah. portrait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those generic picture places, but it was right across. Like, it's probably the most family traffic place in the, the mall, and it was right across from Victoria's Secret. I don't know. I just always thought that was funny. Sorry, Casey. Go ahead. Well, that is just it, it is like such an awful shopping experience going in there. And it's like, it's, it's almost better if you're by yourself because people don't bother you as much. Like, if you go in with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever, like, they constantly come up to you and they're like, Hey, can I get you a fitting room? Can I get you a basket? Do you want to apply for a credit card? You really ought to apply for a credit card. You know, you get $20 off if you apply for a credit card at 35% interest today. Like, can I get that done for you? It's so annoying. And it's, I mean, I know that's what they're supposed to do and it's store policy, you know, they're just doing what they have to do, but yeah, it's so awful to go in there. So like, at least if you go in as a man, like on your own, they're, they're friendly They'll like ask you if you want a basket or whatever, but they don't but like. They're terrified of being followed home, so they don't yeah. Like so they just direction. assume you're a pervert and they leave you alone. <laughs> We're both mutually uncomfortable and like respected each other's face. But, uh, so like I'm in there and I'm walking around and stuff, and there's this like this booming voice coming from like you know it's kind of divided into three little like sub areas. You have yeah. the. Uh, neon junior high pink section on one end and then there's like a wall and then there's like uh all the florally whatever stuff and then there's the more practical stuff on the other side of that that's the section that competes with me undies right yeah exactly bombas but uh there's like this big voice in the uh other section and i'm like god what is this is this where is this guy like you could hear him from like a mile away and he's talking just super loud. He's obviously on the phone and like he comes around the corner and it's this like maybe I would say late 50s. He's like six, four. He's this huge guy. He's in a sport coat, like old man, uh, you know, Mar-a-Lago gear. And he's talking on the phone about like he's obviously an in insurance because he's yelling into the phone about an insurance deal and just screaming over the crowd. And I'm looking around. I'm like. Who is this guy with? Like he's here with people. Who is he here with? And I was expecting, you know, like somebody his age to be around in there and and like just didn't see. Oh, she was he's, under twenty five. I can see it coming. They both were. Oh, so there was two young blonde girls in there that were maybe in their t- early twenties. I mean, they were young. Any chance they're like his daughters? Okay, well that's what I thought too. Right? Is that better, Jeremiah? Well, he's like, if he's at the mall with them and they want to go in there, if I was a dad, I, that'd be the perfect moment to be like, I have to make a business phone call to give yeah. me a reason to not be paying attention to he what's going on. He was very involved in the decision making. Yeah. I'll put it that way. He's oh, like, he wanted everyone up. to know. He needed yeah. everyone to know it. They're not in the practical section. I mean, this is like the, you know, the lingerie section. And he's like holding stuff up and he's like, 
Sao you should get something Christmassy. How about this? This is nice. And just screaming over the whole restaurant. And these two girls like restaurant or uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, what type, what type of Victoria's Secret is this? Uh, the whole store. chicken nuggets. It's the Victoria's Secret B Dubs collab. <laughs> yeah, they used to sell those Larry the Cable Guy like candy britches, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it was strange. It was like so loud. He was like holding up all this stuff that was like you know, like real like skimpy lingerie and stuff, and like making suggestions to like not dad. He was not okay, doing okay. like dad sort so of things. He's doing work. He's on the phone doing work and then talking to these girls over the people that he's on the phone with too. Yeah. And then eventually oh. he hung up and then he was still just like yelling over the whole store. And then they get up to the register. And of course it's like, you know, it's a typical Victoria's secret deal where it's like, Hey, you can get five panties for 25 bucks or you can buy four for 80 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, makes no sense definitely uh not a good deal so like they get to the counter and they're each like a pair of panties short and so he's just like yelling more like so you need to take another pair of these you're one short you need to pick another pair of these and i was like checking out and i'm talking to the the girl at the counter i'm like i want to know what the story is here and she's like i know it doesn't make any sense to me Oh, that's so deeply uncomfortable. I'm like sweating. Yeah, I feel just really having awkward. to listen to this. I didn't oh. like it. It was uh, it's it's awkward in there, no matter what. But that was especially uncomfortable. At least you're not you're not the weird guy in there that everybody's side eyeing. That's true. There's like small mercies. Like <laughs> there's yeah. always a bigger perv. Yeah, always, <laughs> always a bigger. That, and that's says. really what. That's the moral of all stories, right? That, I mean, that was Louis C.K.'s go-to. I mean, yeah. He's like, have you heard of the Marquis de Sade? Like, you're coming after me? We, You just bagged Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> Tales in comparison. Okay, so speaking of pervs, I, uh, okay, we kind of got off track, but uh, we did. I wanted to take a few minutes tonight to talk about Representative Lauren Boebert. I'm sure everybody knows the name because she's kind of like a sensational loudmouth that's in the news a lot. She says a lot of crazy things. She was on what she was in the cycle like a couple months ago for like talking openly about how she was a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Well, and she also did that thing recently at a um, she was like spoke at a church when she said that stuff, too. It was like and she said something along the lines of like. Jesus might not have been crucified if he'd have had an AR-15. Yes, that's what it was. Mm. And honestly, it did not get... Uh, there were some people who, who were into it, but it was a big church, and that crossed a line even for a lot of Christian nationalists in those seats. It was like a, I don't know about that. And then she doubled down. Of course. There was a few cheers and jeers, but it was like mostly people like, quiet like no one was gonna boo it uh but there was a lot of silence i feel like given the the volume of that church like there was not enough cheers uh where she that's why i think that's why she did the double down was like oh man let me just keep going into this i'll get him eventually but jesus killed pontius Pilate with a with a five five six in the face if he'd had an ar-15 and he wouldn't have had to die for your sins yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, she recently, apparently, I just saw a headline today that she uh, recently said that coming out if you're under the age of 21 should be illegal. God. And she, dude, what pisses me off about people like this is like, she acts like she's the bastion of free speech, uh, right? It's like, we just want small government. And then all she does is propose ways to limit people's freedoms constantly. She wants those gay kids to be able to legally open carry the guns that she wants them to kill themselves with instead of coming out. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> they can defend themselves from the doctor trying to give them a, you know, puberty blockers or something. <laughs> can defend themselves from themselves. Oh, all right. Well, we're taking Sorry. a dark turn. <laughs> <Sorry. Very> dark. <laughs> uh she okay, was it what like the underlying thing here is I didn't really know a ton about Lauren Boebert other than just like the sensational headlines I'd seen pop up here and there. And that and, she did not graduate high school. But oh, she didn't? Just, no, she did not. She Let dropped me, out of Garfield School District, which is a school in Rifle, Colorado. Is that not the perfect. most appropriate name for this person? Yeah, she owns a bar and grill called Shooters. Up until 2022, apparently she may not anymore. I'm looking for information on that. She did get her GED though. So Sam, you know, you don't have to education shame her. Okay. I don't. And look, it's fine if you get your GED. I'm just, just don't be making rules that, for the rest of us. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't be a United States representative if you haven't at least graduated high school. <laughs> I don't think that's too far, but I don't know. Uh, Shooters Grill closed in July of this year when the building's new owner opted not to renew the lease. <laughs> That's fine. After yeah, they cashed out like, the PPE loan forgiveness. It sounds like a hellhole. Have you have you been to Rifle, Colorado, Jeremiah? No, no, never. It's okay. All of this is not to say anything. I like Rifle, Colorado. I like that area a lot. It's like walking straight into like a Clint Eastwood movie. It's awesome. It's like you're a. Uh, what uh pale rider is what it looks like mm. out there it's a cool place so far the little bit i've been to colorado i liked everything about colorado it's nice i mean she lives there that kind of sucks but everything else is cool but uh after like reading some more about her and some of her history like there okay there are people that are you know in this spectrum of of you know firebrand marketing that I think are, are genuine believers, mm -hmm. you know, and I would, I would, Mike Pence certainly isn't a firebrand, but Mike Pence, I think is a genuine, like believer in all the conservative crap that he preaches. I think he legitimately holds a lot of the views that he says he does. I think so. Lauren Burbert and her husband are grifters of like the worst order. I mean, they are just, it's everything you read about these people just makes you think like this is this is a character like they've just they've just figured out how to like play social media and the mainstream news networks and stuff to get playtime. And she's literally like there's no part of her that's there to like try to make changes to, you know, in the government and better her district. Like this is all about building like a political platform for herself, for her career that she's going to then build. And she's already done that quite a bit. She's got quite a bit of uh, things stacking up against her. She's misused campaign dollars. She paid off a $20,000 lien on uh, shooters with campaign funds. Wow. She paid herself like 22,000 in mileage reimbursements for her campaign. Wow. She must've traveled a lot. 
Yeah, it was, it was like two months of campaigning. Yeah, I mean, considering she's a representative for an area of a state, you know, that's a lot of travel. I, I, look, if she was, you know, running for president, $22,000 for mileage reimbursement might make a little more sense. Yeah, it was just buying like, you know, 30 gallons of diesel for her dumb husband's like uh, <laughs> coal roller than <laughs> that seems a little steep. <laughs> coal roller they were I've like never heard that before wait 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 sam do you not know what rolling coal is i've never heard of a coal oh roller. you sweet you sweet northeastern boy yeah. uh, have you, you ever, ever seen, seen a diesel truck vape tricks yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like that with a truck they like, ever seen it looks like people who are doing vape tricks look like they just learn like that they're just learning the force for the first time <laughs> okay so Sam, like a young like, padawan and they're just pushing so pulling. there's Got gasoline it. trucks right and then there's diesel trucks you know diesel's a much dirtier fuel yeah. source than gas right yes okay have you ever seen a diesel truck going down the road and like they accelerate hard and like black smoke just comes rolling out of the tailpipe yeah okay any modern diesel that's doing that that's because the owner modified it specifically to do that modern diesels are not like that crazy or it's severely malfunctioning or yeah or it's very, oh, very really broken. it's it very block. broken or most likely they've thrown a tuner on it to get 25 percent more power out of it uh by just ratcheting the turbo way up and that's called rolling coal when you gun it really hard to belch a bunch of black smoke all over a prius walkers <laughs> anyone else trying to enjoy their day so in some states it's illegal like it's, it's become it's such so a problem dumb. like yeah. it's all of that smoke, when you see that black smoke come out, all that is is just unburned fuel. Yeah. Like it's, it's just unburned hydrocarbons. So like that's literally just watching like your fuel mileage just billow out of your stacks for no reason other than you're like, look, black cloud. That's yep. So that's that's rolling coal. That's like <laughs> actually way worse than I thought. So, I mean, I see that occasionally and I wonder if Massachusetts, it's one, it's, it's illegal. I could it's see probably this. not enough of a problem in Massachusetts for them to make a law. Normally, they make it yeah, illegal in states true. like Georgia or yeah. South Carolina. <laughs> Do you have emissions like, testing for your cars there? Uh, I think so. Oh, then yeah, you wouldn't be able to get away with it there. Yeah, even um, here, like we don't have any of that, and like you, you don't really see this anymore. It's kind of dead. Yeah, occasionally you do thing. see like a truck. Well, you're not talking. Um, are you talking just like just a tr- like a a truck you would use for like personally, you're not talking like a, a trailer, like that pulls trailers, right? Like a semi like truck, a, a yeah. semi truck could, could belch some smoke, but modern ones are so like, they're also pretty well refined. So they don't really do it anymore. It's much more likely to know, just be some guy with his F three fifty, like his soup, his super okay. duty or something, which I've seen. I mean, I've definitely, even if it's illegal, you know, it probably wouldn't prevent some people from, it's like a uh, window tinting, right? Oh, you can only have up to a certain amount of tint and at least, here i don't know if that's necessarily the case everywhere also yeah. look not to side rail this too much but should there really be laws against how much you can tint your windows <laughs> well I, I definitely get the ones about not tinting your windshield um seems just like a good rule just for safety reasons right. yeah about tinting your side windows i don't know i mean at night it can be really really hard to see stuff outside the vehicle if your windows are tinted too dark at what point is that other people's safety problem versus just you being a moron? I'm not sure. Yeah, you shouldn't do anything that'll impede your view of a pedestrian toddler. <laughs> well, you would normally see them out your front windshield. This is, yeah, I don't know. I just, I I find the whole idea of like, you can have 
Casey three. Sam's coming around. We're going to get him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, government man. You can have three levels of window tint, but if you do four, well, now we can pull you over. And like, who's going to really judge that? Like, are people getting pulled over for windows too tinted? Uh, it's other than yes, ludicrous. Other than, yeah. I got pulled over once. Really? I didn't tint the windows in the car. It was a car I had bought, but yeah. And they, they checked it and told me it was illegal, but he just gave me uh he, he gave me a warning he didn't give me a ticket so i never did anything about it because it was a 96 toyota tercel like i, I wasn't gonna spend any money on it I didn't i'm just to. gonna burn this if it but i am going to look at a car i'm going to look at a car tomorrow to maybe buy and i can tell already like these windows are definitely illegal amounts of tint because in the pictures i can't see the interior in any of the photos except for the photos like where the doors are open so crown vic on 20s <laughs> well exactly this is this shows you the different mindsets uh here because I was too old when I learned that the reason a lot of people tint their windows is because it's like my foster son. He got as much tint on his windows as he could because he's black. And he's like, yeah, he's you tint your windows so the cops can't see that you're black. <laughs> like That's why you do it that much. And it's like because you're just more likely to get pulled over. And he's been pulled over a bunch of times in this town. So. It's not wrong. And then you're like, you balance, you, you actually balance that. You're like, do I want to be pulled over? Uh, like you run the risk of being pulled over for your windows too tinted versus the, the risk of being pulled over because you're driving while black. And, you know, Tindo went usually wins. Tindo went is what I said. That is what you said. I was going to let it go. <laughs> I thought that was on purpose. It didn't seem like a good time to insert into a conversation about police brutality and racism to make fun of you misspeaking. Well, but since you brought it up. Window tint. I'm surprised I heard that back. I didn't think I'd catch. I, usually you don't catch those misspeaks. But yeah, anyway, so that was uh, my foster son tinting his windows was like when I was like, yeah, I probably should have realized that sooner. I didn't know that. Yeah, now. I've never heard that either. So. I know is that a regional thing? Maybe everyone I know does it. Mm -hmm. It's just super hot. Yeah, I don't. Know. Anyway, Bobert, let's get back to Bobert, Bobert because we are pretty was, far into this now. She was recently <laughs> in the news uh, because there was the audio from a, a nine one one call that her neighbor made that what made it out into the press. And uh, I'm just gonna play you some of this audio. I got two clips for you here. Okay. Oh, uh, wonderful. So, Here's the initial what, piece. When was this from? Do you have a date on these? This was from like August when when all the all the news articles I saw about it were in August. So it happened sometime over the summer, I think. Okay. All right. So here's the first section. There's a domestic situation happening right in front of my driveway, and now it, he's driving away, I think, just about okay. fighting. There's a... It's bad. It's Lauren Bobert's jackass husband, Jason. He's <laughs> running over my mailbox right now. Stop, you jackass! Get the f*** out of here! Okay, I need some... about to be some shit going down here. Okay, okay, who is the gentleman that's going over your mailbox? Lauren jackass husband. Lauren Jason Bobert. <laughs> Jason Bobert. Yeah, so that's the initial piece. Like... Now, in this piece, he actually talks about, like, what caused the uh the dispute kid was racing up and down our 25 mile an hour street doing 50 miles an hour in a razor and then he he told okay. my neighbor to fuck off when he came out to tell him to slow down and the next thing we know his dad jason comes down here trying to claim that somebody took a a swing at his kid and nobody did but this guy, 
Jason Bobert is as dumb as a post, but this guy is so <laughs> irrational. <laughs> dumb as a post. Wait, so is Jason Bobert's kid telling the kid to slow down, or is Jason Bobert's kid driving the side by side? Jason Bobert's kid's driving the side by side. Okay. The Boberts, okay, who recently used like $20,000 worth of campaign funds to pay off a lien on their terrible bar and grill, and also paid themselves 20 grand in mileage reimbursements for her campaign, have a $25,000 side by side that they just let their kids race around in. And this is all checking out. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> her kids, which are probably awful, I mean, they're kids, they're probably awful. Uh, I imagine their kids are some of the worst kids. Well, my kid, kid old enough to drive a razor. Like how old is it? I don't think that means anything there. 16. Oh, okay. Okay. You don't think they're legally, the kids legally driving a razor. Cause she, what? She was born in 80 mid eighties or something. Something like that. Okay. So she might be old enough to have a kid who's like 16. Right. And so he's racing up and down the street going super fast. One of the neighbors goes out and yells at him, tells him to stop. And uh, he goes home and gets his dad, who's probably drunk. And he comes over and starts threatening to swing on fools because he heard they tried to hit his kid and blah, 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 blah. And then after things start to go sideways, I guess he gets in his truck and just runs over their mailbox. (laughs) I love it. It is such trash garbage. Now, what what logo do you think is on his flat brim snapback? Is it a monster logo? Is it? Oh man! Oh, it's a uh, yeah. Fear this, or it could be a monster <laughs> one. It's something along those lines for sure. He's got real like. Have you seen pictures of this guy? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I'm gonna, I'll I'll look it up, dude. Oh, I feel like the only reason that like I don't know how. Colorado's districts are lined up, but I feel like the only reason that Bobert is able to win is because they heavily gerrymandered trailer parks into their district. Well, it's a very, uh, it's a, it's out there where she's from. (laughs) I mean, it's the wild frontier. So it might be the kind of the pace of play out there, but she did recently like win in a recount by like 500 votes. Wild. this year or so. Okay. Her husband in this photo, I see of them sitting in the front seat of his truck. It looks like has what looks like an oil derrick or maybe a electrical pole with tribal tattoo flames around it. So that's a cool <laughs> look. It's a tattoo. Well, okay. To be fair, uh, Jason Bobert is a consultant for a big energy company as of like recent. He's like in the past few years, maybe kind of lining up with his wife's political career. Hmm. He became on with a big energy company as a consultant, making four hundred grand a year. Yeah, that's, Which, that's some Hunter Biden shit. And you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's <laughs> they're some, like it's, exactly the same. But they, but Hunter Biden's laptop, dude. That's the difference, right? That is exactly what Hunter Biden is like always in hot water for it's Burisma. He was on the board of Burisma. He's like this moron crackhead screw up. That's never done anything worthwhile in his life. And for some reason he's on the uh, board of directors for this giant energy conglomerate out of Ukraine. Like it's the exact same. It's just like podunk local radio levels of the same sort of like corruption. Yep. That's what it's like. So much of their lives is that. 
Like, and, literally, like, the, the, in one breath, like, she's talking a bit. Like, she talk about, like, coming out before you're 21 should be illegal and all, you know, she goes hard on all the the groomer crap and stuff like that. But her husband's a sex offender. Really? So when, when they were engaged, this is a, this is a fun story that I got into today too. So when they were engaged, she was 17, he was 24. All right. So first fun fact, I wonder if uh, they ever sorry, shopped the at age Victoria's of Secret together. What's the age of consent in Colorado? <laughs> I feel like it's going to be relevant for the story. Central Colorado. I don't know. Maybe 12. <laughs> All right, I'm going to Google it real quick. So I, I really hate that I'm Googling this. They're right very, now. They okay. like to keep their age of consent biblical. It, it is. Uh, it is 17. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, I, 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 I'm not trying to de- defend him too much. I've just said for the sake of the story appears legally. Okay. Still. Sometimes, though, <laughs> you don't have to look it up, but sometimes it's, if it's under 18, the age gap has to be less than a certain number of years. Like so under 18 or under the age of consent. In the state? So the age of, cons- mm, yeah, okay. the age of it? consent is seven. So it could be like, if you're 16 and you're with a 19 year old, like it could be like the age of consent is 18 or gotcha. 16, but they can't be more than three years older than you Romeo and Juliet laws. Yeah. 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 That's right. Okay. You can't okay. be 21 dating a 13 year old, which is the equivalent of what they were doing. Anyways. Is so that, wait, how old was he? Seven year age gap. He was 24. And so I guess she would have been okay. 14 when he was 21. Yeah. See my bad. Here, Fuzzy math. Look, that's look. I'm here to check your math. That's pretty much the only reason I exist. <laughs> so, uh, the way the way this is all laid out, they, their account of what happened is very different from the 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 victims of his crime. <laughs> but they're at this barn grill. That's unusual, though. That's what's weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Usually, apparently, the according in the to... uh, person, pro- pro- uh, my God, perpetrator, and they usually totally line up. So that's interesting. Yeah, according to Lauren, I mean, he's being like persecuted, you know, right? For but not for his faith, which is what's wild. Is he's the only person who's been persecuted for something other than faith, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, persecuting for taking his penis out in a restaurant. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought there. it was a bowling alley. Yeah, it's bowling. He tried to roll the bowling ball. Uh, yeah, bowling alley doesn't make it better. Is, just... he's like, <laughs> look, if it... I stick it in the hole soft. It'll when it gets big, it'll it'll stay, and then I can actually roll the bowling ball <laughs> down. He was drunk. He gets, it, he gets it stuck in the thumb hole, and then has yeah. to like hang it over that weird little like air vent until <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> He's just tossing warm water on it. I'm gonna need some honey mustard over here, stat. <laughs> so he okay. According to the victims, they're at this bar and grill, and he's drunk by the sounds of it and being obnoxious, right? He's pestering these two girls, one of which is also 17. Okay. So they go up to the bar there. These, these two girls work there, right? So they're up by the bar talking to each other about each other's tattoos. The one girl goes, he, she's showing a tattoo on her back. The other girl like rolls down her sock and she's like, my tattoo's starting to fade. And this, neanderthal behind them is like i have a tattoo on my penis of your name and they're like no no you don't and they just like turn around 
And then they when they turn back around. He like taps him on the shoulder or something. They turn back around and he's standing there. He's taking his dong out. No and he's way. holding it up with his with his thumb over the head. So they said they just saw the shaft and that was it, right? Oh, it doesn't count. That's right. It doesn't count if you cover the penis head. Because the head is, is the areola weird, yeah. of the penis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry that that sentence came out of my mouth. <laughs> I've never thought about it. Though. You guys got like a lot of creative energy today. And also, it doesn't count. It's it actually doesn't count as showing your penis if you're right. uncircumcised. You, you can get away with it in a PG-13 movie. Shaft is fine. <laughs> the head is not. <laughs> so they're like. Oh, disgusting. So they tell this other guy, the guy that's working the bar or whatever, you know, older guy, he gets mad and he calls the cops. Um, so what happens depends on, okay, so Jason had one story about what happened. And then the story that made it into Lauren's memoirs, My American Life, definitely written 100% by her too, I'm sure. Yeah. But was uh, this before or after they decided to back the blue heavily? Oh, I think, it, yeah, I think that's a theme in their life. Even though they seem to argue with them, fight with them a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, back the blue, call the blue repeatedly. For back the blue, forever. unless you're getting arrested for showing your dick shafts to to 17 year olds at a bar, right? Jason gets in a fight where he gets to arguing with this guy that called the cops and threw a basket of chips at him. Apparently the cops get there. They ask what, you know, they talk to the victims and they get a statement from Jason. He says, I didn't take my penis out. I, I undid my fly and I put my thumb through the hole. It was just a joke. The girl says, I know it wasn't his thumb because his thumb's not six inches long. That was that was her statement in the in the witness summary. Well, and he was like, you know what? I'll actually just confess because I'm just love the idea that everyone knows that my penis is at least six inches long. Minus yeah. the dickhead. That's a nice average size. Minus dickhead. We're talking. I mean, add the dickhead and you're talking seven inches. And he's like, look, that's, that's worth going to jail over. Everyone knows I have a slightly above average penis. He does have a big noggin on him. So I guess that would stand to reason that he might have a big old. That's the alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like a, a, a thin shaft noggin. with like a giant dickhead <laughs> is what he's got going on. No, I'm talking about his head. Uh, he's on the top of his body, just to be clear. <laughs> it's like a mushroom. Sweaty. It's like an actual mushroom. <laughs> so in Lauren's book, what she says happens is that they were all hanging out and having a great time. They got to talking and the girls at the bar were just go. They were just continually pestering Jace, Jason, um, begging him, flirting to with him. Out. Yeah, they were talking about what a catch he was. That's the what she said in her book. They were just so they were like, talking back and forth it. about what a catch Jason was, and he's a, like a doofus. I mean, he looks like a moron. And <laughs> because they continually pester him and pester him and pester him, and somebody mentioned that he had a tattoo in a private area. They were like, show it to me, show it to me. And he said, no, I won't do it. Not in a bar. This is the wrong place. I'm engaged. I'm adding a little bit, but uh, he refused. And finally they kept pestering it to him for it. And so he like reached down and unzipped his fly. Like he was going to, he never exposed his penis. They, they lied about that, but basically like they're sluts and they asked to see his penis and then turned him in. He was tricked. Wow. That must be tough for him. 
I feel like there is an easy solution to finding yourself in this situation as a young man. <laughs> but Don't show whatever. your penis to anybody and... And then they yeah. smashed a bottle of champagne over his head. I say, even he if you, his dick out of even if head. you think they're asking you to, maybe ask yourself: Is that something that people normally ask people to do in a restaurant? Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not, maybe they're not asking <laughs> you to do that. Maybe you've misunderstood the situation. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't normally entirely... show my penis to seventeen-year-olds. That's generally frowned upon in society. I just I think the hardest thing to understand about all of this is how Lauren Boebert could under could misunderstand the situation. <laughs> She's got also, a grip on reality that this is a hard one for me to for me to wrap my mind around. It does appear by the earlier uh, statement I made about the age of her son being able to drive a, a razor. It appears he would have been able to be old enough because, according to a couple sources I'm looking at here, uh, the reason she's a high school dropout is because she was pregnant. Yeah. So okay. She dropped out, and then she got her GED. Uh, what year do you think she got her GED? I'd say like one and a half years before she became a representative. Casey. Oh, I uh, okay. I'll go five years before. Or ran for representative. I should. Say. Nope. The same year, twenty twenty. Oh. Twenty. Twenty twenty. They were like. <laughs> yep. Wait! 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 It's a resume builder for sure. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's wild. Is that is it an actual requirement that you have a graduate high school diploma or a GED to be a representative? It might be one of those things where they never thought they needed to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> this has never happened before. <laughs> well, she's a trailblazer. I'll give her that. Yeah. Yeah. So he Amazing. actually was arrested and sent like he he pled guilty to uh I, I forget what the charge was. It was like in sexual indecency or something like that. So he's a, he's a, I guess I don't know that he's a registered sex offender, but he's got a criminal record on his, on his hands. And uh, uh, I mean, he would be a sex offender. I don't know. Is it, does he, I'm guessing he doesn't have to like have limits on where he can live and stuff. If he lives in a residential. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Should be fine in DC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, DC is tough. You're always within three miles of a playground. So you got to be careful. Right. I don't know, dude. It's just like everything you read about these two, you're like, "Oh, this is this is a scam." Like this is a scam yeah. that has been like allowed to run publicly in front of everybody. Like it's amazing know, that man. these two have made it this far. Like they are total scumbags. I, I Do you have information so about her other arrest, Casey? Because I know she got rowdy at a music festival yeah. and screamed at some cops who were trying to stop some kids from underage drinking. That's a misunderstanding because she was actually trying to support the cops with her words because she backs the blue every time. So in during 20- this interaction, she's like, you she got screams, this. You can do it. I have friends at Fox News. This will be a national story. Yeah. No, so she was cuffed. She was cuffed, not arrested for disorderly conduct at a country music festival. After police said she attempted to interfere in the arrest of minors busted for underage drinking and encouraged the accused to run off. She was saying that the revelers had not been read their Miranda rights and the arrest was illegal. So she's sovereign citizen. Oh my God. Minors getting arrested. (laughs) This Um, person is making rules for the rest of us. It's insane. And then what Casey said about her saying she is friends at Fox News and the illegal arrest would be national news. She had already started Shooter's Grill by this point, just to like kind of bring it all into perspective. She so was going to shoot, though. She missed two court appearances 
for that <laughs> and was arrested in December of 2015. Then the charge was dismissed. A year later, in September 2016, she was charged with careless driving and operating an unsafe vehicle after she rolled her truck into a ditch. Then she failed to show up for court for that, too. So another warrant got issued. So in 2016, she would have been almost 30. Um, she was booked on. Oh, no, she would have been 30 that year. Okay, then she was booked. Uh, she pled guilty and paid 123 bucks in fines. The careless driving charge was dismissed. Interesting. I would have liked to see them issue a breathalyzer after that accident. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was also arrested in 2010 after a neighbor accused her pit bulls of attacking their dog. Um, man, she's just... Dude, she's just white trash. Yeah. In February tw- uh, 2004, so shortly after Jason Bobert was uh, arrested for exposing shaft at the bowling alley or or the restaurant. Um, So one month later in February, uh, he was booked on a domestic violence charge against Lauren, which at this point she would have been 17, like still. And he was booked on a domestic, but he was a great guy that never would have done anything weird. So in May, 2004, uh, she scratched his face and chest and trashed his residence during an argument. So I guess after he gets out of jail around the domestic, the evidence just piles up third degree assault, (laughs) criminal mischief and underage drinking charges. They got married the next year. They have four kids. That was, but that might've been before she got saved though. I mean, have we looked into that timeline? Yeah. Maybe Jason was just trying to be a strong spiritual leader in the household and you know, he had she to just give... had too much to say. Actually, that's correct. She became a born again <laughs> Christian in 2009. So to be fair, and again, yeah. I don't know why I'm the one defending the Boberts in this situation, <laughs> but to be fair, that was before she became a Christian and Jason as well. Well, that know. means all of their sins are forgiven and we should be thankful for their spiritual leadership of our country. Now, and to be fair to Jason, he started his consulting business in 2012. So it actually looks like he was a legitimate consultant of some kind before she actually ran for politics. He just never made any actual money doing it until after she ran for politics. <laughs> it, it doesn't does work seem with like... my story and I'm disregarding it. Well, <laughs> well, it does appear that he started making real money after she became a politician. I think your story still works, but as far as him being a consultant, that part, he may cool. actually be a consultant unlike Hunter Biden. It doesn't mean the other parts aren't equally valid. <laughs> yeah. His job before uh, she took office was like when they had an oil leak, he would stick his finger in it and wait for like someone to come repair it. <laughs> he would like touch it to his tongue and be like, yep, that's an oil leak. <laughs> Dude, it's like the thing with all of these is just, I okay, it, it, she's in there now. Like, she's she's a representative. She just won again. She's going to be in this, you know, Congress screaming for another, well, like, couple right. of years. But she, she won by, like, 600 votes. I mean, she did not win by that much. I just want to tell, I, I just want, like, conservative people. I just want to be like, it's fine that you're conservative. Like, it's fine. That you're like small government, business, blah, 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 whatever, conservative. Like, you don't have to stick up for these people. Like, this person sucks. She's awful. Like, there's zero redeeming qualities here. Unless your whole criteria for, like, whether or not you, like, support a a, a politician is like, well, how much do they clap back at the Democrats? You know, like, that's her only redeeming quality if you're one of those people. You don't have to identify with these people. You don't have to defend them. You don't have to circle the wagons around them. Just be like, that's a trash person. That's not me. I don't I don't identify with that. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Be a conservative. 
and just push these people out. Same with, you know, if you're if you're a liberal person, you do not have to rally and circle the wagons around the worst actors in the Democratic Party. Yeah, like the absolute hacks. But they're the only ones who can save the country, Casey. They're the only ones who can save the country from the demons of the other political party. I'm sure they will, too. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're going to get right on codifying Roe v. Wade so we never have to go through all that again. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that's another rabbit trail. (laughs) (laughs) Bottom line is these people are frauds. Amen. Was there more to that uh, that phone call, by the way, or is that just basically him ranting and making a statement? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's just kind of like ranting after that and says that he he would he's like they're they're probably drunk and they're more than likely armed because they have lots of guns and he's (laughs) driving over his mailbox in the yard. I mean, it is. I I always thought of Colorado as a little more of a hippie-ish place, but it does seem like they definitely have their trailer areas. Only Denver. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that to disparage anyone who's ever lived in a trailer park, but you know exactly what I mean. It's like Oregon. It's like there's a big difference between Portland and like Eugene. (laughs) (laughs) There's a big difference between, uh, you know, Boulder and Rifle. (laughs) So, okay, before we break on this topic... I was trying to think like, what would this, what would this woman be doing if she wasn't like a public sphere political figure here? What would she be doing? Working at a Hooters, hands down. That's the only thing she'd be doing. (laughs) I was thinking maybe like MLM, like (laughs) maybe not Mary Kay, but maybe like uh, pure romance. Like it's a little bit naughty. She brings drinks. It's possible. I I don't see anything other than, the service, like being a waiter under he's, her resume. There. These two are, are tailor made for like a early two thousands reality show. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Like she should have like the fact that she doesn't have a season of the real world is fucking insane. Oh, that that's it. You nailed it. That's where she belongs. To. Yeah. <laughs> she, they, the two of them should be in there screaming at each other in like a condo full of other teenagers. Yes. Yeah, she that's where she belongs. Like if she was from Jersey, Jersey Shore, she's got Jersey Shore vibes. Road Rules was probably at one level above where she's at. So I would say real world or Jersey Shore if she was from that area. What you're saying is DeSantis is going to make her his running mate. Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, I don't know. Well, he, he can't go with Marjorie Taylor Greene because like her and Bobert are both QAnon idiots. Don't like, take cinema. Some uh, fucking loser like that. Oh, I could see him doing that. But She's MTG, an independent like, now, so I mean, MTG he, is different. Uh, maybe a different level of crazy than Bobert. And again, I'm not trying to defend Bobert. I don't know why I keep doing this, but like Bobert isn't Jewish space laser crazy. Like there's, <laughs> there's levels. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like <laughs> M- MTG is Alex Jones crazy. I don't know that Bobert is. I think Bobert is just heavier in on the, like the Christian nationalism side and like the rah 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 1776. My eight year old, the people. Holds, my my eight year old holds has his own AR fifteen that he holds in his school photo. Like I think she's that type of crazy. It yeah. is a different type of that's, crazy. That's her the brand. Jews are, are killing people with laser satellites. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's more her brand. She doesn't believe any of this. She's a hollow, empty shell psychopath. But, you know, yeah, that's a little more on brand for her. So, yeah, uh, 
I think Look, uh, what that, you should that's really take away right. from this is what's stopping you from achieving that thing that you want. You you don't even have to graduate high school to become an elected representative in the United States, like House of Representatives. Like you can do anything. <laughs> the only thing stopping you is you don't have the hubris. Yeah, the only thing stopping have. you is your lack of imagination and your hatred of other people. <laughs> <laughs> Time to buy some brass knuckles and go confront a pizza parlor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, our guest this week is Matt Philp, not Philip, like I said when we were talking to him. <laughs> uh, but Matt is great. He was a god. He was so much fun to talk to. I, occasionally, you talk to people who like have really thought about their story and how they want to tell it, and it was just fun uh, hearing him go through his story um like he had really had given it some thought and gave had an idea of the direction he wanted to go with the narrative and i, I loved it he's got a like that uh, that storytelling vibe and i think uh it, it it was just a lot of fun to listen to him he is the um one of the co-hosts of the tell me about your father podcast we previously had aaron on from tell me about your father um so there's still doing awesome stuff, having great conversations. And they even recently had our mutual now mutual friend, uh, Jenna, who Jenna, well, she didn't use her last name when she was on our podcast, but Jenna Perry, you should go listen to her episode on their podcast too. Cause she talks about her whole father grift thing there. But anyway, Matt was great. Uh, we had a ton of fun talking to him and, uh, yeah. So yeah, you like the show, send it to somebody. Uh, send it to two people, one person who will like it, one person who will oh, viscerally hate it. That's it, right there. And join our Discord. Uh, message us if you want to get in on the Discord. And that being said, enjoy our conversation with Matt Philp. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Matt Philip. Matt, what's going on? Um, I'm sitting here in the dark. Actually, my last name is pronounced Philp, but that Philp. is... Fine. No, it's fine. It's one of those names that was obviously misspelled on the Australian version of Ellis Jeez. Island. And... Well, I can't read. I, it is spelled Phil. Like it's spelled Phil. And yeah. I have been. No, I know. It's an optical illusion <laughs> name. Nobody gets it right. So you are among the company of everyone in the world. So yeah. what's yeah, the bear, the Bernstein Bears thing? What do they call that? The the what? The, you know how everyone thought it's Berenstein Bears, and oh, then like yeah, 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 later, yeah. like years later, it's Bernstein. You're like, like it's Kim Basinger, yeah, or it's whatever. Like, it never looked like that. It was no. it never looked like that before, and it feels like it's the same as um, it was like Shazam and Kazam. People thought those yeah. were both separate movies. <laughs> <laughs> we're confused, anyway. people. Well, anyway, I got your name wrong, and I'm. Thank you for your uh, your christian extending christian grace to me on that you're welcome <laughs> i bless you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i think uh just knowing a little bit about your story from messaging back and forth i i always love the australian american evangelical style crossovers i feel like that there's so many similarities in the way that they like they grew in in like that weird brand of fundamentalism is like, mm -hmm. it's like paralleled. Like you could show up there and be like, Oh, this is just like home, depending on like where you grew up. And you'd almost be able to like find your culture there in a different culture. I don't know. I, I so I'm excited to kind of learn uh, more about the development of uh, 
we export all of our best products, you know. Well, Hillsong <laughs> comes from Australia. Yeah. And it actually comes from really close to where I grew up, um, the Hills District, believe it or not. Um, so, Is yeah. Is that why it's Hillsong? I think so, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I, there's always, like, Australians have this sense that they have to strike out and they have to do it big because they're so far away from everywhere. So, you know, they're always trying to export something. They're always trying to take an idea and either take an idea to America or take an idea from America back to Australia and just replicate it as though they invented it, like the really? role and stuff like that. What are some other, if you could think of any off the top of your head, what are some other examples of that? Well, like the lobster roll. Like, it's the thing, if you go to Sydney, lobster roll. I mean, it's like, to me, I didn't know what a lobster roll was when I moved here. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And then, but what happens is in places like, in, in cities like Sydney, there's a lower cultural density, but a, a really high level of aspiration. So what happens is someone will bring back an idea and then it'll work. And then everyone does it. So everyone's doing speakeasies with no menu and you go in and you just <laughs> them like, you go into this, you know, the back room of a dentist's office or something. And then you, you walk in and it's red lights and then they go, what, you know, headspace are you in? And you say ambivalent. And then they come back with drinks for you and then they give you a bill and it just says $78 in like handwriting. Oh you know, my God. But there's 900 of those throughout the cities because they just, find these trends and then they run with and everyone copies it oh man you guys are probably about to get like a tsunami of slider and froyo places too huh i'm about to go there so i'm anticipating that kind of thing yes um i will find out what the next thing is it was gourmet ice cream last time like really really fancy ice cream um and also, like, you know, American, like, MAGA-type politics is replicating itself over there. During the last election, people were, you know, yelling, drain the swamp. And it was like, do you understand that that... <laughs> we <laughs> have no water! That was, that was, yeah, we're having a drought, A. And B, the country's on fire. We actually don't need to drain the swamp. Um, yeah, it's like that kind of thing. It's It's like this weird crossover of Western culture that they just you know but then you know australia's got a lot of great stuff going for it and you know australian films wonderful like i you know i'm not trashing australia but it was interesting like listening to like comics talk on podcasts about when they you know when they do like an australian tour they usually just like go on and on about how much fun it is and how oh, they yeah, love yeah. the crowds and it seems like a place where people really come out in droves for those types of things and totally yeah they love well, because, you know, it's a long way away. So when an international guest comes over, everyone's like living for it. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Yeah. I, that it, it, I, I, it's one of those you forget kind of how far it is. Some, like if until you look at a map and you're like, oh, Jesus, that's literally nowhere. That's as far away from all continents as you can possibly get. Yeah, it is. It's like a 25 hour <laughs> flight from New York. It's great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's really just. OK, so. When you're doing a flight that long, is it, I imagine it can't be quite as shitty as flying, like uh, taking a three hour flight somewhere else. They got to give you a little bit more room than like, I don't know what I fly when I was visiting you, Delta, I took Delta to visit you, Casey. And Oh my God, that was so uncomfortable. <laughs> they have to try harder. Yeah. I mean, they don't care. Like I, when I moved over here, I mean, I fly American, which is a bit better than United. I remember like I was in the back of the plane on a trip 
I before I knew that you should choose your seat and go on all these sites to figure out which seats are better. And they, you know, like the food was like, here's a raw leg of lamb, and they just throw it down the aisle and close the curtains, <laughs> and you'd have to fight over it, and people would be mauled. Like, the raptor cage. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh, you may survive this flight or not. I don't know, but really, if you're in economy, it's like you just take drugs and wake up on the other side of the world. Like you just don't do it. You just drink yeah. half a bottle of wine, take, you know, two Xanax and just wake up in the Southern hemisphere. That's it. I remember yeah, like I like went to uh, the only flights I've ever done like that was I went to China for work like, uh, I don't know, like five, six years ago. And they got us business class tickets, which was awesome. Right. So, you know, they've got the, it's like a big plane. We're flying from Chicago to Beijing. So it's like a straight flight over the North Pole. I think you have to duck around the side of the moon. And uh, like the, the the seats are staggered. You know, you got this little pod that's kind of your space. And there's like a reclining seat. And you got a little TV there and everything. But they're staggered in that like some of them face the other direction. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in like the very last business class seat facing the other direction into the coach compartment. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, dude, it's like just it's a thousand people shoulder to shoulder, straight up and down. Like, I'm sure their seats reclined a little, but it didn't look like it. Mm -mm, They just it looked miserable. Yeah. And they they're all staring at me. Like, especially towards the end of the flight, we get to like hour nine and and i can just feel like eyes staring through that little like sheer curtain yeah. at me with just pure burning hatred yeah if you didn't have separate bathrooms someone would follow you to it murder you and put your skin on so they could and then they'd seat. sit in your seat and have your half-cooked beef wellington yeah <laughs> you know it's such a class thing right it's so like weird watching the class play out in aircrafts um, I get judgmental too when I walk by and I see like the people who are sitting there. I'm like, you look like shit. You look like shit. You look like you belong here. I, I feel the like worst, oh, the worst is when fair. people have all their children, their five year old is in business. And, yeah. and I've, <laughs> I've heard like people say, well, we, we're trying to teach our child confidence. And it's like that. That's how you, <laughs> so you just fly them business class. That's what's te- teaching them confidence. They're wow. just rancid children. Me personally, <laughs> I feel that it's important for the coach class people to have something to look up and aspire to. You're yeah. right. Sorry, that's no, you're absolutely okay. right. Yeah, you're I, I can be right. that beacon for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you you seem very giving in that way. So yeah, <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> he doesn't give a lot to charity, but when he does, it looks a lot like that. You live your the, you live your philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not hiding that light under a bushel. <laughs> Oh my God. So Matt, why don't we, uh, God, where do we start? I, it sounds like we start in Australia with you as a young lad. What do they yeah. call young, young boys, chaps, lads? Yeah, young chaps. Yes. Everyone's calling everyone young chaps. Good on, good <laughs> on over here, chaps. Um, well, you know, because it is basically Australia. The reason Australia is such a weird place is because it is basically English imperialism forced onto a desert land that couldn't give a shit whether you live or, or die. Like it, it, it is a beautiful place, but every animal there will kill you. The <laughs> landscape, you know, you will disappear into it and it will consume you and no one will care. But then you bring this British sensibility of like high tea at 11 in a full gown into that 
environment and it's actually kind of quite a tense there's a tension to that um but i mean i grew up like i grew up in a pretty working uh, i mean my grandparents were really working class my my parents were really working class uh, middle class we didn't have any religion at all until my father died and um my mom remarried and my stepfather is is how religion kind of initially came into my life how old um, were you when your father died i was almost four okay. and um yeah. Yeah. he was like 35 i did an episode about this on um my podcast tell me about your father available everywhere um where i talked about you know the way that that was a particularly strange it's i mean it constitutes a trauma really in the sense that when you're four you don't really know how to make sense of death so you, you're just kind of like what the fuck just happened? And then anything could happen. Anyone could die at any time. And so there's like this kind of really weird traumatic kind of shaking that happened. This like, I feel like I, I was somehow dented by that experience yeah. in a way that I've like, you know, made sense of now. But, um, and then religion kind of came into our house because my, my stepfather is, he is American and he comes from South Dakota. He grew up in, in California, has quite a large um, family there his generation are very, very religious and conservative. Their kids are a lot more kind of depends, you know, there's a cross section. Um, some of them are quite liberal and some of them are really super religious. All of them are tremendously generous, lovely people, but it is such a mind fuck when you go hang out with them because you yeah. talk to them for a bit and they're so lovely and so welcoming. And then you just wait for a minute and then there, Oh, there's the, insane racism and there's the like you know there's the weird politics and it's just like oh my god you actually just you're a functioning person <laughs> um but i just had no idea that you were so insanely delusional um but so like he brought this into no sorry he didn't bring that into my family but in in our family unit my mom and my younger brother and my youngest brother andrew who wasn't born when my father um, died so my mom went through the pregnancy without my father and uh my aunt moved in with us you know with the family rallied um but it was a pretty weird experience so my mom i think had had no use for religion up until that point um she's a pretty awesome woman she she's very adventurous she's very alive she's very independent she's very she's just like a really bright spark and um I don't know. She, my whole family suffers from depression, you know, genetic depression, not my mom. She doesn't have it, which is great. So I just don't think she ever needed it. Um, and then I think my father's death really burned her to the ground. Really, truly. She was like really yeah. just destroyed by that. And then she really pulled herself out of it. And I think she mourned that. And then she married my stepfather. And I think religion kind of helped her in that moment. Mm -hmm. um she talked to me a bit about it years later um how far in between uh your father dying and her getting remarried what was it like it was like four years three or four years okay yeah yeah so it wasn't like crazy it wasn't like you're like four and your dad died and now you're five and it's like no not at all not at all no 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 and um so, you know, going to church was just like a, th a new thing. I'm like, oh, we're going to this thing. Okay. 
I, and you know, like it was mostly like kid, like you'd go to the kids thing and then you'd color in and like it wasn't like a big deal. You color a picture of Eve with fig leaves covering her breast. Yeah, you talk about you know the blood of Christ. You color in the blood and stuff. It's really great. Just dripping the down the crown of yeah, the, just dripping down the crown of face. And also, you're just like coloring in the wounds on the side where the yeah. where the My- piercing has occurred and the water <laughs> and the blood has mingled. My wife's student. I'm gonna. My wife's student told her a joke today. My wife's a high school teacher, and he said she's like a lot of the kids got upset by this. But uh, he goes, "What's the difference? Do what's the difference between Jesus and a picture of Jesus? A picture of Jesus only takes one nail to hang." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a high school joke. <laughs> I know. I laughed so hard when she told me though. It's really fucked up. That is how we process this stuff, you know. <laughs> it's important. That's Joan Rivers material. Um, <laughs> but it just, it didn't really seep into me. I remember, do you know what's funny? I've been thinking about this like recently, like I just don't think I could ever believe in any of it. It didn't make sense to me. I cannot believe in God. I just, it just, I'm not that person. And I remember being a kid at like six or something, talking to my friend Emily. And I was just like, you know what? We could honestly just make up our own God. Why don't we just make the sun our God and then we can just do our own thing and we don't have to deal with other people. And it seems like it makes sense. Like the sun, you know, it gives you warmth. It helps flowers grow. There's enough going on there. The Egyptians, that was their thing. I'm like, it's you know, I can kind of get behind that if I have to have a God. And I was like, why, why don't we just make this up? It's, <laughs> you know, so it just like struck me then like what it I just, but I guess it just never really presented like a thing that was, such an, a barrier to me until a bit later on. And yeah. like, it was just like going and hanging out and we moved to California um, when I was a kid to go meet my stepfather's family. And I'd go to church in Hayward, California, um, this huge Presbyterian church that had a massive youth group called Rock, R-O-C-K. I can't remember what that stood for. Um, they always have those names, like, you know, like the the oh, suburban yeah. youth groups. There was one called Cactus. I can't remember why. I wish called... it was an acronym, just the longest. Well, totally. Like, I just can't remember. Fellow... At my school, it was Fellowship in School Hours, Fish. And then, like, the, <laughs> like <laughs> God, the way the Christians marketed themselves in high school in the 90s was bleak. Um, so that was, you moved to the U.S. for a bit it, when you were in high school? That's... Yeah, no, no, I was in, um, I was like an elementary school. And then, so I was just like kind of going to elementary school. And then all of the people in my youth group were like a year above me and they were all at the junior high. So it actually worked out really well for me because I knew all these like popular kids that were like these really like hot, like women, these beautiful blonde, <laughs> like women that like everyone were was trying to woo. I'm like, oh, what's it, how's it going? Like they all knew me because like, we went to the same youth group but I'm like this is working out really well for me it didn't it just didn't really phase me any of the beliefs I remember thinking that it was common that we would vote for Bush because Bush was a more solid sounding name than Dukakis Dukakis was like kind of foreign but like that's kind of the extent of how that kind of xenophobic racist conservative thing comes in in the church it was like foreign is bad yeah. <laughs> you know it wasn't like i don't know i wasn't having like a crisis i'm just like eh, hanging out with people i think it, i'm always 
like surprised and interested in how some people seem to just be more impervious to it. Like, I, I don't know how, like, I wonder if it's like personality type. I wonder, or do if you didn't have any religion before your stepdad, what did he, it sounds like he came into your life around when you were like six or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like did, when you started going to church, you were, was it, do you, did you feel at any point, like you were like, when you're being told this is right now by this guy, is it like, Oh, okay. Or is it, do you feel like you just had enough experience without it where you're just like this, I guess it why just, do I need to add this in? Like I, I yeah, I, I, you know what? It's funny you ask that because I don't remember being like, "What the fuck is this?" Like we would say grace, and I'm like, "Whatever you want to say, grace, it's fine." You know, it was a performance, and I got to wear fancy clothes to church, so I'm like, "Great, I'll wear fancy clothes." That's kind of my thing as a kid. <laughs> a child wearing dandy a, wearing yeah, I was wearing a red bel- velvet bow tie. I would wear one to church, and I'm like, oh, "This yeah, is you're great." Killing the game. It's a chance, a chance for me to really shine um but so like that kind of was all it was but then i think it wasn't until i kind of went oh and i always got you know well actually i didn't always get bullied for being gay it's really interesting in australia brutal like masculinity anxiety all the time truly and i learned to pass like socks down shirt out look down don't do any kind of hand movements just from like kindergarten onwards. Went to California, didn't get called a faggot once, not once, not in two and a half years. It ast- astounded me. Then we went back to Sydney because I had to start high school and I went to this very fancy um, private boys school that's kind of modeled on Eton, like where Prince um, William went. Okay. Um, where it's, you know, old buildings and cathedral and the ivy and the 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 kind of jacket with the piping and the boater and the blah 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 and the endless pageantry um and when i arrived back powdered in Korea, wigs. yeah we, yeah we were forced <laughs> to wear powdered nine foot tall powdered wigs at all yeah. times um <laughs> totally i mean you know it's funny though because the the teachers would wear their graduation gowns and i sang in the choir which I loved. It was like a full-on Anglican church choir where we wore like a... It's almost like going to Hogwarts. It was It was precisely like that. <laughs> it was precisely like that because we had the house system. Like we had like, you know, Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. We had our own houses. We were in LA. And we had to, it, you know, full school uniform. If your socks were down in summer, you were given an hour detention. It was not... They were not kidding around. And so this high Anglican fancy boys school that really modeled itself on, it was very like post empire Britain that had this like pageantry to do with religion. That's when it started to kind of hit me and I returned and suddenly the faggot started again and I'm like, Oh fuck this country. Okay. That's right. I know how to do this. Fine. And then I was blessed with like nine really smart gay friends that I went to school with. um, Some of whom I still am really close friends with their family really. Um, and they, we all kind of coped together. But the, the weird thing about this school was it was really like you hear about like patriarchy and like entitlement and like as an establishment, you can't kind of get into that is what that, that was the product 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're letting you into this thing. They're telling you, you are the elite of tomorrow. They're breeding you to rule. They're teaching you to rule. They're teach- My headmaster was, actually the headmaster was Prince Charles's teacher for a while. And they were oh, friends wow. and, and kept in, in touch. He was a really tremendous guy though. Like he remembered everyone's name and everyone's birthday. He walked around. He was a huge, um, he loved the humanities. He taught Latin he taught us that it was important to study humanities before you studied something like marketing. Really, really great things to do, I think. But he also taught everyone at the school, like, you must go abroad and then you must write a book. And then, you know, and it's like, <laughs> no, not everyone needs to write a book, but sure. It's an oddly specific command. It's like, everyone needs to do this. Yeah. like we'll this- Publish it, whatever you got to do, but. Just like your. Live journal, that's fine too, but. Print it, pilot, bind it. Whatever, whatever counts as a book, I guess. But I, yeah, you, you know, just like the idea that you'd be somehow immortalizing your insights and experience. Just like everyone here has insights that should be immortalized. That's kind of what. It's you're like a more pretentious podcasting, you know. A hundred percent. He was a great guy, though, and you know, like that kind of stuff was really cool. But this was the whole thing, and it's so weird thinking about like watching the queen's funeral because I'm just like, I really clicked with that. And I went, this is nuts. They're dragging the body of a German housewife around England with a, in a box. Everyone's like waiting in line to say goodbye to this woman. And it's got like this crown on it. This is insane. Yeah, This is totally insane. It's the credulity of people, this inherent credulity where people like Christopher Hitchens talks about how, you know, inside everybody is this sort of innate instinct to be servile in some way. So it's whether you're kind of praying to God and and subjugating yourself to God, or you're sort of like looking at this queen, or you're in a in a ranking system because of a school or whatever. You're you, you know you know where you are in the pecking order. There's a safety that goes with that, and it's like you can have this safety. All you need is your just give us your rational faculties. Just That's surrender. Cool. It's weird when you think about like how much because humans love ritual. Yeah. Like so much of ritual has to do with like uh, it's that it's like surrender to a bigger thing. Which is actually pretty healthy in some ways, I think. Yeah, sure. And on what you're surrendering to, I guess. Totally. totally. But uh, yeah, there is a it's it's funny how many people that are like our age that have left church left like Midwestern evangelicalism and, and, you know, did a stint as an angry atheist for a while and stuff have found themselves back in some sort of like, you know, orthodoxy of some sort, right. You know, that that's totally foreign to them that really like it's, you know, evangelicalism has really become like, like all of the, uh, the, the dogma and individualized, you know, teaching and stuff like that. And they've totally cut out all the ritual. And it's like people gravitate now towards the ritual as like a response to what they grew up with. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that actually there is no shame in in liking ritual, needing ritual. I think it's a very human thing. Like I remember writing this um, essay about this when I was an undergrad and it was about how people were into like scarification. And I thought raves were kind of like that. They were like going to church and doing drugs was like a visit to the Oracle, you know, people are, they're communing, 
there's a ritual that you go through to kind of go into this space. Um, They're trying to find some primal performance of humanity and community. And I, and I think that's okay if it's not harming anybody, but I just think it's kind of human to, to want that. And there's something quite beautiful about it too. Like I loved that church music. I was listening to some of it before we, um, started recording today because I'm like what am I going to talk about and I was listening to some of the stuff we would record in the we would uh perform in the choir and all these like requiems and things in Latin and it was just like some of it's so beautiful because you know the Christians had the money so they paid all the composers to (laughs) write this like stuff but I, I think and the Latin to the whole stuff ritual is great thing. because you don't have to remember how stupid the lyrics are. Oh my god, <laughs> that's, that's it! And then you go back and you go, "This is the shit we're just casually singing. This is so nonsensical." The hymns—they're really kind of cool and rousing. There's a majesty to them, but you're just like you, the, the shit that you're saying. It's like my lowly, useless self grovels before your purifying blood. And it's like, oh my God, everybody <laughs> take a breath here. This is so nuts. It is. Who is I, it that you're going to school with at this thing? Like, is this like uh, Skull and Bones Cub Scouts or something like that? No, no, no. Wait, well, what do you mean by Skull and Why do I, mean, I say like, no? I don't even know what you're talking about. Are what you, is Skull like, and Bones Cub, Cub Scouts? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, who's at this school? Is it like Newt Gingrich's psychopathic children? And so, yeah, you know, that would see this is, So this is the interesting thing. Most of it is third generation shopkeeper kids, right? Somebody who started a supermarket, their grandfather did it in the twenties. Their father made it into a big deal, and now they're rich and they've got a kid who's so they're upper middle class. They're people that come from working class. Most of them are upper middle class. Middle to mid, upper middle class. You got a couple of princes, a couple of sultans, kids in there, but not really. Um, and then you have some people that are like on scholarships and like are kind of, you know, middle, lower middle class kind of thing. But so this is the weird thing about this whole thing is you've got this whole like system where we're elite, we're better than everyone. And then they had to keep addressing class. They're like, look, not everyone here is wealthy. We need to kind of get this through our heads. This is not about everyone being richer. But then they teach you in Christian studies that women shouldn't be working. And then it's like, but everybody, his parents are both working to pay for them. You just made an announcement about how everyone's parents are working double time to pay for them for us to go here. And now you're saying that our parents, our mothers shouldn't be working. Like, which is it? Yeah. So this was the thing. It's like you get taught totally opposing ideas and and just down to stupid details like there were not enough buses to take us to the train station at the end of the day. They needed like 10, they'd get four. So there's always a stampede. They have all these people waiting there to grab you if you run and then they pull you aside and they give you a detention or whatever for running. And it's like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, which is it? Give us enough buttons we don't run. But it's this constant like bang, you know, your head butting. Women shouldn't work, but they have to. And all the teachers that are great here are women. Like, what yeah, are you doing? They're about? actually working. They are teaching you that they shouldn't be doing that. It's there. I think a lot of that ends up sinking. Like, that was, uh, I'm sure there were a, a lot of factors when I was like made 
like the conscience conscious decision to be like, I don't think that this church, this type of church is for me anymore. And, but it was, it was similar. And I think it feels like when you, when you're young, like you don't, you can hear that, but not really question it. I, my mom didn't work growing up. So like, I remember I would get the message like, this is the ideal, but we understand that sometimes things just can't happen that way because of society, economy, things like that. But, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm a kid. Yeah. Who cares? Right. Uh, But then like, yeah, but in my twenties, it was like, uh, like a big reason for me leaving my church was like this sermon, this sermon series on like biblical marriage. And it was like, my wife and I were just, had just like moved to Boston. It was like our first time, like, trying to make it somewhere like tough on our own. Like we just left our school. Um, I know I found my first job outside of like just working at my school until I graduated. My wife got her first teaching job after finishing her master's. We're making shit money. We're living with sometimes four other people in this tiny apartment and we're going to this church just scraping by we had one car so one of us would have to walk like three miles to work or something like that if we couldn't get dropped off and it was like it was a it was a grind and mm. we were so enjoying you, our you lives resented the fact that they encouraged you to be better parents is that what it was we didn't have kids yet so i couldn't understand that yeah <laughs> i wanted that one to land <laughs> <laughs> it was good it was fair it was fair it was fine <laughs> but we were like so in that situation then i go and i get this sermon series from and like the i mean i'm not trying to throw shade at the past or anything but like his situation was like he he was a he was became he was a youth pastor he got married pretty young but in the area he was my youth pastor that's how i knew him but then um his his wife's family owned like a construction like a con he was like a contractor so like they got their first house and this is great. Like, I'm not here to shit on people getting opportunities. I would take advantage of that. I've had plenty of help in my life. But like, it's like you you got your their first house at like basically cost. And then mm-hmm. the housing market blew up and they they sold that at a huge profit. And then we were able to actually buy a house in Boston. And he was able to plant a church and his wife didn't even need to work for a while. And it was like she ended up doing like doing some work later. But it was like, so like our lives were in completely different spots. And then getting a sermon series that's like the ideal is for women to not work. You know, we understand that sometimes you just don't really have a choice based on needing to make ends meet, but like, this is the way God set it up. And it's like, so you're telling us that the ideal way for us to live the way that you think God set up is unattainable for us. Like it doesn't yeah. even, it's like so infuriating and obviously wrong. Like it, it, when you start experiencing those things firsthand and not just hearing about it, it goes from being like, I don't know, I guess some people have to, but it's fine to I'm taking this personally now. Like yeah, this, no, yeah. it's bullshit. <laughs> it yeah. has to be wrong. I know that's the thing. And I mean, that's sort of, it goes back to the the kind of immorality of, of the teachings in general. Like you're created sick and commanded to be well. And it's like, that's not actually mm. a reasonable expectation <laughs> of anybody that's psychotic. Um, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, I think what was so, I think where the church started, where I started to have that, that you're just talking about the, the where it gets personal is when I started to, realize that I am gay. And so therefore I'm like, oh, I am the thing they've been calling me and ridiculing me about 
all this time. And then the church kind of casually just dismisses you in this like ludicrous, like hate the sinner, hate the sin, but love the sinner or whatever their stupid, meaningless yeah. way of, of talking about it is, which is totally, which is a totally ludicrous cowardly thing to say like just say you need gay people to go down so that you can feel safer that's what this is you need somebody to go down for you to feel safer and it's there's always somebody who has to go down for these things and the school would do this and it just the the way that these incredibly average guys that i was just around were just so comfortable in the idea that they were so much better than me and that i deserve that was casually reinforced by the school all the time. I had teachers like say, looked at, look at me and go, well, you're the one who's studying art. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? And like, you know, but it was weird because, oh it, but, it, and, and that's the brand, you know, that's the brand of this kind of school. Like that's how they keep you tough. That's how they keep you in line. In fact, before I went there, my stepfather actually described it to me and said oh yeah they make you play rugby there mr west is going to sort you out and i turned up and mr west is like this champion of the humanities you didn't actually have to play latin and in fact mr west was a nudist in his spare time like it's not <laughs> like he wasn't a dick like he yeah, really after wasn't school yeah totally it was after school like in his office i don't know how <laughs> he was very very like professional about this you know you had to really sign up for that class known. Yeah, you wouldn't have known. He would wear a toga to teach Latin. I'm presuming that he had underwear on underneath it. Um, I don't know. But, <laughs> but like, I remember doing, like, two choirs. I was in the musical. I was in the track team. I, I fucking won this relay at the championships thing, right? I ran the third leg, and I took over everyone, and my school was cheering, and I got to the end of this bit. And this 13-year-old kid in the front row just yells out, you faggot. And I was like, ooh. What do you have to do here? <laughs> I literally just won this race for you and I'm going to go sing in some church thing for you and I'm performing in this, this like whatever musical. And so I just went to the headmaster and went, you have got to do better with this. This is bullshit. And he goes, well, what do you think I should do? And I went, well, I think you should force the entire school to see Pirates of Penzance because you make everybody go to the rugby and to the cricket. Now you you really need to show that you care about the humanities as you say you do and make everyone see Pirates of Penzance, which he did on the night of the equivalent of the Super Bowl. So that was a real <laughs> win for me. Um, <laughs> that backfired. Yeah, but I, like, I wrote him this letter and then what was worse about it actually was my mom worked at the school and then in like the final year, everyone gets to be like considered to be a prefect or a captain of the house. You know, you get this title, it's kind of meaningless, but it's a prestige thing. All the Christians have been campaigning for this by being the kind of evangelist on, on, on campus the whole time. They're all campaigning for this because then they can, you know, then you parlay it. And it's like you play all your cards right to be prime minister. He was a prefect and in cadets. And then he went and did this. You know, it's all putting the pieces in place. Can you imagine being that age and already working on your trajectory I mean, to be prime minister? It's oh, just like not. Those kids were probably awful. They were and are. Yeah, <laughs> they and are. And they're not the prime. Was one of them Boris? No, 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 he wasn't. Okay. He did not go to. Actually, you know who did Andrew? go to my school? Yeah. 
Actually, they did have a weird sex scandal at my school that was kind of Lord of the Flies-esque after I left, which was like... With the nudist? No, no, he was gone. Was that after he won the third leg? He, he, he had not... He was not at the center of any sex scandal. He was a tremendous man. But they had a boarding house and they didn't address masculinity as an issue. And there was this thing where someone had gone into the woodwork uh, woodshop area and created this dildo, which they called the anaconda. And then they would, they would assault younger students with it. And it was a huge what? public scandal because it's kind of what happens when masculinity goes unchecked. And it was a big deal because it's a private school, so they're a target for class, you know, culture war type stuff. And yeah. it's just like is a total violation of of humanity of these students. Um, it's yeah. insane that that, that that masculinity aspect it seems kind of it seems so odd that that exists in that environment because like i mean i'm from the midwest you know surrounded by fellow knuckle draggers and like <laughs> i feel like nobody would look at it like that environment and think like oh yeah that's a you know group of alpha male you know uh, eating raw meat and, and yeah making fire with sticks or what <laughs> It's just strange how that adapts. It's all window dressing, you know. It's all everybody has that. They're all the same. The same kind of unwatched, unmanaged, like young, entitled men, unchecked kind of thing, you know. The flip side is, is that we all graduated at a fourth grade reading level. (laughs) (laughs) They may have as well. I don't know. (laughs) The irony of these people being like, you know, probably most likely to use the f word and try to per- have the masculine persona are the ones going around assaulting people with a wooden dildo. It's like, come on. Dude. Right. Oh no. It's always that, you know, it's like the, 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 the really the closeted queen who's the one most vocal about gay marriage or whatever. Um, yeah. the weird, the weird thing was they were having this discussion about who was going to get an office, you know, and I was in line for whatever. And then there was the big meeting of all the teachers and my mom is actually in the, in the room cause she was managing the, the chemistry department. And all the, it was like, well, what about Matthew? You know, he's, is he like house captain or whatever? And then all the teachers go, no, isn't he gay? No, he gets nothing. And they had this whole conversation in front of my mother. And what's interesting about it is you, you think this shit happens, but you don't ever really, you know, they know how to hide it. Like, I know it's not the same, but I think people of color understand that racism where it's so covered up by the people who perpetrate it so they're safe but they can still get away with it and you can't ever kind of put your finger on it and it was really interesting having my mom sit there and go yep this is actually what happened and it was the nature of this this like you know this high anglican patriarchy factory that just that's that's exactly what it was about you weren't out right you weren't out not uh i mean i was sort of out to my i was out to my friends but not fully and i did this like artwork that had like lesbian friends of mine making out in it and it just was a kind of a, a nod to that in a way but that was pretty safe because everyone's interested in lesbians at a boys school but um <laughs> yeah but it was just i don't know it's just weird to to have and that's when i started kind of getting really mad about it in terms yeah. of religion and the way that they would take everything from you and they you know you could do all of you could perform and run and sing and give all your time but they'd still behind your back just like trash you and you know it just was like 
and and it got to this point where I would go to church with my parents, and I and I'd just come home and I'd just be like really like angry, you know. Uh, anyway, I mean, I I think that I guess I I guess I was I think that the point that you had described where it starts to be personal that was kind of it had already started when I was like, oh, I am gay, and then you get this kind of weird treatment, and then you watch them kind of use the church to make it completely reasonable. Um, and then, like, I just started getting, and then I think a lot of rage about that started to kind of build. And it was a finally my my I, I didn't really complain so much. I just church was so boring. But my finally my stepfather goes, you know, you don't have to come to church with us anymore. It's okay. And I, and I was like, oh, thank oh, God. Wow. Yeah, you know, it was an interesting moment because I'm like, oh, you just like. I'm a lost cause. Okay, no worries. But also, just like I was like, I don't want to go go to church anymore. Uh, yeah. So, how old were you when he finally gave you that? Like, don't worry about it. Anymore. I think like seventeen or eighteen. Okay, that is weird because I heard that, and my first thought was clearly incorrect, which was, oh, maybe he like started coming around and understood that this you didn't think this was for you, but you took that a completely. Oh different way. no, I, like, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's kind of what it was. I think that was just kind of, I was like, is that what you're doing? That, that, that is a kind of a weird thing to think about. Like, cause that's what they think, right? If maybe you're, you could be, I mean, maybe they didn't, maybe it was like, I mean, I know how this, the evangelical game works where like, maybe it's, it was self-preservation for them in a way where it's like, we don't have to have him there in have that be some sort of reflection on us or have people thinking about us and how we're dealing with this. Like, I, yeah. I mean, it could have been entirely selfish too. I don't, I wasn't trying to like project one way or the other. I just hearing you flip it was like compared to the way that I had originally like internalized. It was like, I'm probably internalizing it as incorrectly in the way that like my default assumption would be different than your lived experience. No, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think it was probably, he was just being like, look, you know, you can make your own decision about this. Um, but I think it, it's always like this thing where I was like, I want to take, I would, I, you know, you have those moments where you just want to have the right, you want to have the perfect answer for the teacher. And you just want to be like, you know what, this is kind of insane. This is absurd. And I'm going to tell you why. And I never, ever had the information at the right time. And so, you know, up until like even recently, I have a cousin I grew up with and she's a doctor, you know, she's incredibly intelligent and really sweet. And she like just decided not to be a doctor one day because she said to me, oh, you know, you can't take it with you. She wanted to go do this whole like kind of, she wanted to open a church or work very closely in a church. And so then it became that. And she started posting like anti-gay marriage stuff. And I'm like, okay, Robert, you can't, you can't, you just can't do that this is not okay. And she's, and, and the headline of this article was I'm against gay marriage. Um, and no, I'm not a bigot. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I love the, I like this lane. We keep coming across it as time rolls on and you'd think we'd get further away from it, but it's like, you say something bigoted and then you say, but I'm not that. So it's like with like, with a, a lot of the anti-Semitism right now, right. it's like Kyrie is just like post this, link to a video that's like denies the holocaust and is just a, basically a anti-semitic propaganda film and goes well i mean there's just some interesting points in it i'm not i'm not anti-semitic it's like no you 
it's like when uh, you're picking on someone, you're like, I'm not bullying them. And the person who's getting picked on is like, yo, I'm feeling pretty bullied right now. Like that's, but I'm not, I, I'm not bull. I'm teasing you. I'm not bullying. It's like, right. you don't get to decide what you're doing to other people. Yeah, you don't get yeah. to decide how to label that. It's like, that is so wild. I feel like people just won't quit with like that. Let me say really terrible things about a people group writ large. And then ex- try to tell you that I'm not a racist or xenophobic or homophobic or whatever. Well, Cause nobody wants to be a racist. You know, racism is bad. Everyone knows racism is bad. So you can't call me a racist cause I am not a bad person. You know, that it, that's, that's what it is. It's like racism is bad. I'm a good person. Therefore I can't be a racist. And it's like, yeah, you can say racist things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can. But the, well, the other thing that fascinates me about, I had this whole email back and forth with my cousin and I eventually just went, I don't want to do this is the way that they kind of start from this place where she was like, what is your problem with Jesus? Explain to me, you know, it's like the starting point is I have morality and truth you you have to t- you have to talk me out you you know you have to prove that that's not the case and it's like no that's not it you made the assertion i have nothing to do with this like like it, she was like explain to me you know why jesus is is not all of the things that he's supposed to be and i didn't have the answers to that then but she was explaining to me that you know everyone's sexuality is broken and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's so You're awesome. so smart. You're so smart. And what happened here is really kind of it, you know? Well, yeah, and it's so hard to have, like, a discussion about this stuff in the climate that we're in. Yeah. Like, I, I sent Sam a video last night, but Rogan had, uh, what is it? is it? Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh on his podcast. And there's a clip of them going back and forth over gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, you know, part of the reason why all of these discussions are so annoying to listen to is because like, and, and to have is because like, we can't seem to like separate, you can't seem to segment different parts of the discussion, right? Like, are we talking about why gay marriage shouldn't be legal? Or are we talking why about why you personally think it's bad, Right. you know, but it's, it's, it's funny to, 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 to listen to the arguments from like someone who's, you know, who's really trying to make this like rational, reasonable argument, you know, like they're trying to disguise what their thoughts yeah. in this, like they're, they're cloaking them in this like idea that like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just giving you like the rational, reasonable perspective here and answer these questions for me. And I don't know, but they're, they're really not. And it, and it doesn't take long to, to, to stray from those ideas because you're hopelessly moored to like this fundamentalist yeah. viewpoint that doesn't make any sense in the and context so, of the world. Just now. It's so strange because in every other way in their life, they are rational. That's what I think is so interesting. And suddenly the rational thought leaves them. It's like I was sitting there going, what do you think? it is about me and Scott, my, my partner, Scott, that makes, that would make us just, you know, inoperably bad parents. Why could, why should we not be able, why would we not be able to have a child? What would we, what would happen there? And she was like, Oh no, no, I don't think you'd be a bad parent. And I'm like, but you literally just said that you'd literally just said that I should not be able to get married and have children. We were talking about, she's like, no, 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 no. You know, everyone's broken in their own way. And I'm like, this is just circuitous nonsense. And, also, in terms of gay marriage, I think it's really interesting. I just, I actually don't 
I just like won't talk about it anymore because if you want to have that discussion, we need to talk about your fear of death because what you're really doing is just scapegoating gay people so you can feel safer and check, check all the boxes so you go to heaven. Like that's kind of what this is. So why don't we talk about what's really going on here? Because gay marriage has absolutely no effect on your life whatsoever. What you're right. doing is enacting some kind of fidelity to this idea. Your your virtue signaling to God or whatever. That's a hundred percent it. That is a hundred percent it, and that's a great way of saying it. Because really, what it is, I think a lot of people, like a lot of. A lot of people who are out here living in modern society, so they're not segmented off in these tiny little microcosms that they've created for themselves, right? They don't have the luxury of living inside a bubble because they have to go to work and have a job and stuff, which is part of the problem with pastors, a whole different subject, right? But a lot of what's happening there, it, I, I think a lot of these people feel inconvenienced and burdened by evangelical rejection of something like, you know, just homosexuality as like a, a, a normal, reasonable, everyday part of life and a valid life choice for, and, or, or not a bad word. I know what you mean. I know a what you mean. valid hey. way of, of living your life, right? And uh, I, I think that it's like they feel burdened by it and they wish that they didn't have to come out against it. Yeah. There's a segment of them that do. They're like, I hate that I'm having to say this but I have to swear fealty yeah. to the ideology. That's right. It's important that I check all the boxes here and I have to stand strong and be steadfast, even though I don't want to, even though I feel stupid. And I don't know how you get people over that bubble, but I, or yeah. that hump, but I think a lot of it is just time. You well, know, it's, it's also just, about knowing gay people, you know, or, or whatever, um, knowing somebody who's had an abortion, knowing, the minute it happens to you, it's like Reagan with Rock Hudson, you know, all of a sudden he knew someone who died of AIDS. So we have to acknowledge it. Like Nancy Reagan and her stylists are in the background screaming for him to, well, she was kind of a, a monster as well, but you know, like that's the kind of thing with Republicans. It's always like the conservatives is like, doesn't matter. We can toss them out, scapegoat them all. Doesn't matter. Oh wait, my, my kid, you know, wait a minute. And like, that's kind of in how it ends up happening. It's easy to throw someone out if you don't know anyone. It's like like the thing, all of this like fury over pronouns. Like, how many trans people have you spoken to to get the viewpoint you have on on trans people? Name one trans person you've ever spoken to. It's like it before you've casually got this this incredibly angry, alienating viewpoint that really dehumanizes trans people. It's like talk to one trans person and they don't need to because they know that people are peeing in litter boxes in school so well, that... i mean to be fair yeah <laughs> that is actually that's, a central to that of being. yeah that's one of the things one of the first things i learned as a gay person was how to pee in letter boxes <laughs> just I, <laughs> speaking of that uh clip that you sent me casey the matt walsh trying to like just figure out how to explain why he thinks his take is reasonable. I'm just concerned about society. Yeah. He goes, he, he's just like, I think the problem, what was also frustrating and what is frustrating about those conversations, it's like, you guys are trying to have a conversation. Like, this is why I think what you said, Matt, is really poignant about talking about a fear of death or even in another direction, like that, but that idea of like, it's not about this thing. It's about no. something else. So like for him, it, 
and rogue it's like rogan and him trying to have a conversation about whether or not this is a it's like what you, you guys have a fundamental misunder you you don't level on anything like yeah. how are you going to have a conversation about this when your beliefs on it are based entirely on on totally like com- they're just completely different planets it's like so when he goes matt walsh is just like you know i mean look this is the way that it's always been this is how society has always functioned it's always been the and, and i've just i keep asking people i keep asking people over and over again for like why this is that why like for a compelling argument on why this should be okay that why it's okay and i just i just haven't heard a compelling argument it's like matt that's because <laughs> matt walsh not you matt that's because there isn't an argument in the world there isn't that one. you'll find compelling based on your established worldview it's all going yeah. if it falls outside of that within your worldview it, there isn't a compelling argument so like you're a bad actor here you're it's, it's a, you're a bad faith arguer yeah and it, you're not coming to the table with an open hand so it's, it's like it's like yeah dan savage has this retort to christians who come up with this and they're like no you're bearing false witness you are doing what you said that you wouldn't do you want you want to talk about you want to do this running around in circles nonsense about gay marriage or equality we're never going to get anywhere but what you're actually doing is bearing false witness and it's like another way to kind of make them think about it but i you know what's interesting about it is too that like the more that i think about this the more i grow up the more i have to the more i find myself looking at people as individuals and not being like you're a catholic fuck you how can you do this like i'll say that about the pope who once liked one of my tweets by mistake so (laughs) yeah like whatever twink they've got in the you know, Vatican social media room accidentally <laughs> just like had nine free espressos and went like, like, like. And then the next, like a two hours later, it was taken away, but I screenshot it. So now oh it's wrong. Amazing. Did now you, you know that? that? Yeah. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of it. That's my Amazing. plan. Now um, you know what that porn star felt like when Ted Cruz liked her photo. A hundred percent. It's like, the same. there's my, that's the money shot you're really looking for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so good. But it's like, I keep thinking about this. And what taught me this was my family. You know, like I've got a lot of Christians in my family and they're tremendously loving, kind people. Um, And they laugh at all my jokes. You know, like it's like I kind of, they will travel for hours to see me when I come to Sydney, you know. like That's awesome. Even the ones in California who are so like off the planet, some of them truly you're just so welcomed by them and it's like i can't assume things about you because you're identifying as a christian it's when it gets down to voting that it becomes like a real thing and specific instances of alienation but it's like there was this there's this whole idea that you get i've been accused of being angry at god which is absurd but like um i interviewed my old editor this like um my old editor, Richard Goldstein, who used to be executive editor at the Village Voice, he was my I had an internship with him. I worked with him for two years. He's America's sort of first rock music journalist, and um, you know, really just lived in New York, just like total like public intellectual, just railed against right wing conservatives and Christians and and white men, white straight men were his target. Just the vitriol and the laser sharp analysis and wit that he would come up with to take them down. He'd go on Fox news and just belt them. 
verbally. And I saw him a couple of months ago, like, you know, this is 15 years later. And I was like, how are you on white, straight Christian men? And he said, you know what? I've really mellowed. And I'm like, how? And he goes, I kind of reconciled my relationship with my father. And now (laughs) I don't actually have all of this anger towards these people anymore. And I was like, that's such an interesting, like, link to make. He was very clear about it. Um, And I guess having a dead father and then a stepfather who was quite Christian and, you know, I don't think he's ever really mentioned I'm gay. He he was very, like, alienating and challenging to be around as a teenager, Um, as as a, you know, really, like, judgmental and irrational in a lot of ways. And it was not a healthy situation to be in, I don't think, for as long as it went on. We're fine now. Um, but it's like, I think it's got to feed into that, you know? I think this sort of fury that I have, which I think has dissipated a bit recently um, against Christianity. Like you were mentioning, um, Casey, you were mentioning, you know, you go through an angry atheist stage. and 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 I was like, yeah, I can identify with that where I I just remember trying to get all the answers to the arguments I didn't get to win when I was at school. And I read Christopher Hitchens' book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And I think that was the book that made me go, oh, I'm, I'm an atheist. Yeah, this is really comfortable. This is everything I've ever thought about this. But it has been a process of just kind of going, okay, let's breathe a bit about religion, you know, like not being so triggered by it. Um, despite what it does and continues to do. It's a really challenging thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, because you see how they, you know, have power and they enact it on people. Yeah, I think part of it too is is like, uh, I've talked about it before, but like coming out of the, the little bitty, I mean, I was in such a bubble. I went to school with the same people I went to church with you know, all of the churches that were kind of involved in everything around us, like that we co-mingled with all had like very similar beliefs. Um, I can't, you know, I, I did not have a good barometer for like what Christianity was on a broader spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Like leaving that, that small environment. I didn't, I didn't even realize it fully. I mean, to the extent I do now until we started doing this podcast, but listening to, you know, people talk about how they've reconciled some of those ideas and stuff. Like I had no idea that there was a whole group of Christians that didn't believe in hell. Like I didn't even know that that was a, a possibility as a belief system within Christianity. And like, I think that diffuses some of the anger too, is realizing like, Oh, like my little, you know, narrow interpretation of what this is, is not what it is to everybody. Yeah, that's right. My, my partner's sister, um, I think she identifies as Catholic and I mean, she's just one of the kindest, most lovely people I've ever, she makes me feel more empathetic towards other people. I don't even think I would have known she was Catholic, but I think she does identify as Catholic and it's sort of like, it, it is of no consequence to me that, that she is because, you know, she's a kind person. Um, but it just, yeah, it, it just, it does actually, it's also like, you know, when you're queer, I don't know whether you guys feel like you learned shame 
did you guys learn shame like in any kind like sexual shame just like shame from religion yeah i think what's i i honestly the the weird thing about the sexual shame is um so a lot of people talk about feeling that around masturbating and i i never did i never felt it around that but i know that's a lot of people's stories it wasn't until i went to college where i like go to liberty university and i'm on a dorm with a bunch of other people who are and i, I took i was one of those like i i take this thing i take this very seriously so i naturally found and gravitated towards a lot of people who would who would want to engage in theological conversations and things like that so i you know that's what you end up finding you end up having those conversations about well, oh is this right is that wrong and you like go through that moment where you're like i'm not going to do this anymore i've i've been convinced academically that this is probably the wrong thing to do but i i didn't it, so that it was only in like college though that like my that a real shame started developing around that that being said, in high school, I had zero opportunity to have any sexual interaction with a girl. So okay. I I don't know how it would have felt if I slipped that one up or something. I probably would have felt pretty bad about it. Um, it was mostly couches, pillows, yeah. <laughs> the occasional peanut butter sandwich. Sure. That whole, oh, that, yeah, the hole the in the back of that like four foot tall Woody Woodpecker, you know. The microwave banana skin. Sure. <laughs> I got that from weeds. I never tried that myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. No, I mean, it's just, I think that the, I think that I still try to, you know, grapple with this like instinct that, oh, I'm immoral. Like it's still there. Sure. But I'm like, uh, no, no, rationally, I know what the fuck is going on here. But it's like, you know, it's like arbitrary too. Like it's sort of like when you're a kid, the things you hear and learn, the music you listen to, the food you were given at various times, that just arbitrarily becomes your comfort stuff. So if you're told this shit when you're, you know, 10 to 18, it just kind of gets in there and you have to kind of, like I still sometimes think, oh God, I'm going to go to hell, you know, because I blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, it's so interesting that that comes up for me it's just you know what i mean like it's so weird but yeah it's just i think in there i i do feel like that thought because it's like uh, it's been years since i've i've really you give it much of a you don't give it any real thought you're like no when you first decide that you don't think it's real you feel like you're doing something wrong and you're like you say it and then you're just like Ooh. like i don't know maybe uh, i don't know it could still be right like but you're, you're almost trying to convince yourself that you believe that and yeah. then you time goes on and you get to a point where you're just like i don't no i just don't i don't and i don't think about it but then it does eventually just like come up randomly you're just like oh shit here's that time and now you could be doing literally anything and it's yeah. like it just it's like an intrusive thought that's just like here i am i'm never going away yeah and yeah yeah Sometimes I wonder, like, okay, because I can only really, like, speak for myself because we didn't talk a lot about any of this stuff. I kind of feel like, you know, homophobia was almost like a refuge for me in a way. Mm -hmm. Because it was like the way that sexuality was talked about, like, in our church and our, in our, you know, anytime it was brought up, it was kind of like, this is a pitfall, like, 
sexual feelings and sexual like thoughts are a pitfall that like you have to be careful of and you have to avoid at all costs. And like, this is the cost of falling into those, those habits and those ideas is like you, you, you could become a serial killer or what, you know, it was literally like talked about in those. I remember we had an ex cop that would come once a year, he would show up and do like four days worth of sermons at our school. And like, we looked forward to hearing from him because he had great stories. Right. You know, he was, did he, he bring his gun? I I mean, he didn't show it to us, but I'm sure he did. But like, he would always do a, like a sermon or two sermons for the boys on like sexuality. And, stuff. and like, I grew up thinking that not only are like, you know, me having sexual urges, not only is that wrong, but I'm the only one that has these. Nobody around me is having these because we didn't we didn't talk about it, you know, and right. like nobody wants to be the end of the spectrum of shame. Right. They, You know, you never want to think that like there's nothing past me. I'm the worst of the worst. And I think in a way like homophobia was for me was a way of being like, well, God, at least I'm not them. You know, that's the thing. It's like someone has to go down for your own safety. Yeah. 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 It's exactly what like that's exactly how you worded it earlier. And I think it's a it's a perfect fit. And like it took a long time to break all of those thoughts. I mean, and I don't think I'm fully out of the uh, the shame cycle of sexuality either. You know, right. I mean, it's it's so weird. I It's like, what is it even a what was the point of it anyway? I don't even know what the point of it was. Like what was, who was profiting from that? It's, I guess it just keeps you afraid of something so primal. So then you're constantly begging for forgiveness. So then you pay the church and stuff. But we had this, oh my God, speaking of nutcase guests at schools, we had this group called God Squad that would come in and they were these really tough looking biker guys. Oh man would go around King's Cross and they um, they would like, you know, preach, I guess. And then they'd do this thing where they were like, you know, if, if you think we're, it's, it's also Australian. So it's even, it's sort of like Australian, like youth oriented, um, like Christianity is just, it's just something so much worse about it. It really <laughs> is like, it's just, and like he, he presented like, if you think we're wimps, you should come and hang out with some of the people we spend time with on a Saturday night. And then they're describing torture, how the gangs had tortured people. And I'm like, this is so, this is so lame. This is yeah. so fucking lame. And, but then all the Christians who were in line for the school officership would be the ones asking the questions and validating this. But yeah, the, it was, was that like their tough guy? Like, we hang out with these kinds of people. And I love that too. Like the, the, it gets turned into. So if you want to take the concept of in character of Jesus and be like, look, the people he hung out with and what he did, he was ultimately like ostracized and vilified for that. But he was never like, there's no like calling attention to it. Right. And I think that's, what's so weird and ironic about what Christianity turns into is like, when you make a scene in front about all these types of people you hang out with, you're, you're doing the opposite of what you're claiming to do. It's not because you're still othering them. They're just your fucking prop and you're a one man show. And it's like, Mm -hmm. get the fuck out of your own way. It's so infuriating to watch that. Like there's no, like there's no, I'm doing this in the, on my own quietly. I just 
because it matters. And I think that these people need yeah. someone to go, Hey, here I am because I just genuinely care about you. And it's like, they're just, they're props. It's like, now we drive around and tell everybody about it and brag about how we hang out with these dangerous people. It's like, who is this about? Yeah. I don't even, I never even asked. It's this, it's also, it's sort of like, there's an equivalence. This is stupid, but cooking shows, they're always trying to, they're just like, God, just, you know, get in the kitchen and just try, you know, just cook a fucking meal. It's like Gordon Ramsay, just like sweating, go just, give it a go. And it's like, who told you that nobody liked to cook? Like what yeah. problem are you solving for whom it's, it's like there, there were constantly at my school. They were just constantly begging us to believe that this was credible. They didn't have it enough in themselves, just begging us to, and you know, that we'd watch these insane documentaries from the seventies that were like, there was some guy that was like a seventies washed up pop star who's sitting there explaining how nobody questions Julius Caesar's existence. And there aren't even that many records of him. And I'm like, I mean, do you, do you really not see the difference? Between- <laughs> <laughs> Sir, if you wouldn't mind, like, and then, Oh, there was one other iconic one called hell's bells where because if they weren't trying to beg you for credibility they're trying to ruin your fun so they it's it's incredible documentary that needs to be the name of the episode (laughs) but it's just so good because they really did just do this documentary where it's just about all these bands from like the 70s and 80s and how all of them are into back masking for the devil so (laughs) if you play their music backwards you hear like satan is god you know like and they're playing this to us like the teachers are showing us this stuff and we're like, this is iconic. We finally get to see this stupid documentary. And like my friend Nick, who has like an impeccable taste in music, he would put pencils up his nose and I'm like, he's like, you're ruining everything. I'm going to headbutt the desk. You know, that became <laughs> the drama of the plot. But it's like, why are you showing us this nonsense? And in fact, one of the guys in my class whose father was a reverend went, I'm sorry, but like, if we're going to talk about demons, there has to be some level of sanity. <laughs> this... Like I'm on your side and this is nonsense. Like, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, I should preface this. I, I need to make this very clear. Also, when I was telling a story about becoming a house captain, which I was denied, there's very little at stake there. It's not actually about, I, I really couldn't care less about that. It was more the principle of actually hearing that they explicitly stated that I wasn't allowed to be this because I was gay in front of my mother. So I had evidence that this was the case. I just realized that made me sound like terrible. Like I was such a victim because I didn't get this ludicrous high school. status. <laughs> no, I, I well, as um, long as we're clarifying class points and expanding, can I say something controversial? Please. If you, okay. If you look at the mirror, if you, if you're like looking at, if you're, you know, rethinking your Instagram bio or something like that, and first and foremost, you see yourself as a biker. Like, I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but you're a jerk off. Mm-hmm. And like, there's hope for you. You don't have to be this. Like, you can just be a motorcycle owner. You don't have to be like a biker jerk. You don't even that. have to give up your bike. You can just stop being a total moron. Yeah, it's like- You don't have to keep jerking off to Sons of Anarchy. Like, it's a bad show, okay? Yeah, or hating it because it's not authentic enough. Like just, yeah. wa- just like whatever. It's so it's so stupid. But that's if you feel convicted meeting. by today's message and you would like to pray with someone, uh, <laughs> what's what's the best way for people to reach out for you, Matt? 
also, I guess also while we're clarifying things, I want to call back to this cop that would who who picked the lane of being the middle-aged man that talks to young boys about sex and sexuality and that's oh, man. so many red flags. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That, okay, so what's funny is like okay, you think about how many like how many sermons you sat through as a kid, right? There's it's tons. Yeah. It's hours and hours. And you think about like how little of it you remember. 100%. I, I remember this specific line from this guy. I don't even I can't remember the guy's name to save my life, but like I'm sure he traveled around and did this at other churches and schools like crazy, you know, but he was like a Detroit cop or something like that. But he had this line where he talked about, um, you know, somebody from like the FBI that came in to talk to them about like serial crimes and, and uh, you know, serial rapists and serial murderers and all of this kind of stuff. And was like explaining, like, I guess like criminal profiling and stuff to them. And one of the points that he made to us, this group of kids was like, he goes, you know, in this presentation, he talked about how like every single serial killer that they had ever arrested had been addicted to pornography. And he said, one of the cops in the back of the room, you know, this is a bunch of cops, but this, these are, these are rough and tough fellows. One of the back cops in the back of the room, he raised his hand and he said, are you saying that anybody who's ever looked at a skin book is a pervert? <laughs> That's exactly what he said, right? That's the line. And he said, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you're on the same track. That's and I so was like, good. You had a plant. That's so good. They worked it out ahead of time. It's just like this perfect double act. <laughs> and then he went on to write the script for Mindhunters. It's <laughs> now to be clear, he only wrote the script around the parts about pedophilia and child murder. So he, yeah, he was, was, he was unusually well schooled in that. That guy yeah. woke he went up on to commit like, the Detroit yep. child murders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> he, he's like, he woke up one morning and was just like, you know, I'm really passionate about helping young boys keep it pure i i want i'm i want to make sure that they're not having sex i want to make sure they're not touching themselves and i want them to explain to me in intimate detail their behaviors and because i care i care like the, the ron godwin of the pool yeah i was gonna say who did luke who is luke meeting with jesus christ it's sort of jordan oh, peterson-esque really the way he's kind yeah. of commandeered all these incels that make him all this money like you guys were talking i listened to an episode recently where you were talking about Jordan Peterson, I think. We've talked about yeah. him, but uh, we also like to shit on Jesse Lee Peterson a lot. Another Peterson. Another okay. classic Peterson. <laughs> yeah. All Petersons are trash, but in actuality, like my name, my last name should be Peterson. Like my great, great, great grandpa took my great, great, great grandma's name, which is Gretzith, because there was so many Petersons where they lived. They were like Norwegian immigrants. That's See, Maybe I'm Jesse Lee Peterson's. You're Casey you know, Lee Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> it, see, there's the arbitrary thing that happens, right? It's like with my name, somebody just misspelled Philip, and now everyone's cursed. But it's like <laughs> you, your parents went, ugh, too many people in this town have this name. We're just going to change our name. <laughs> We're just going to find something real Norwegian that's yeah. like 100% consonants and no one can pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> just, just make it impossible. <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah. I remember one other line from this guy, from the cop guy. 
and it was also about purity because I think it, I think I remember it because it gave me such a sense of like dread and hopelessness about this like secret shame that I had over being the only one that had like sexual thoughts or whatever. He talked about like, you know, getting saved as like a teenager or something like that and decided to go to, uh, I think he went to like Pensacola Christian college, like in its early days, you know, and he was talking about how like at the college, you know, you would go to the beach and the girls had to wear like gunny sacks over their bathing suits. And he's like, he's like, you know, and that was there. They, they, you know, they wore those gunny sacks to protect us from temptation. But he goes, I'll tell you what, fellas, he goes, you know, you're, it doesn't take very long at the beach before you start to notice that like there's good gunny sacks and there's bad gunny sacks. And I'm just like, there's no hope. Yeah. There's no hope. It's never going away. Like there's no way to beat it. It's just a plague. And I'm, I'm the only one. <laughs> Until you found out that this guy is, has a pretty good understanding of the good and the bad gunny sacks. So you asked him for a private one-on-one meeting after. Yeah, after. I didn't know at the time that he killed all those kids. So <laughs> better now. You're ready to talk about it. <laughs> it's good to finally let it out. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what? At, so if like after you did the, what, not to, you know, drag this on forever, but how'd you end up uh, in the U.S. on a, you're on a permanent basis. When yeah. did you end up leaving Australia? Was that when you were younger? Or did you hang out in Australia for a while after you graduated high school? I was, yeah, I did um, undergrad in no, I actually did undergrad and postgrad there, and then moved over here. I've been here for like twenty years, I think. Nineteen okay. years. Yeah, this is nineteen. Yeah, I just I think people moved to New York. You know, I mean for for I think pretty standard reasons where they're from is a bit small and they're more like, you know, Australians do that quite a lot. It's quite normal. My aunt moved to Paris in, in the seventies. Um, and so I had a template for that. Um, she's still there. Um, and so I just was like, yeah, I just, I just really feel like I need to get out of Sydney and go and be like New York felt like it was more the kind of place to go. So I came over here and just like, was like, I'm going to make this work. And, um, finally kind of, and just sort of did, I just, yeah. I, I just have to make this work. I don't know how I just have to make this work. And, um, if you're, um, if you, you could, you can argue that you're uniquely talented in a certain way, then they'll give you a green card and you can become a citizen on that basis. It took me a really long time to get together a portfolio and a number of things to get that kind of to be even vaguely viable it's a very kind of basic category it's not as special as it thinks well as it might sound melania trump has it like and and people were like oh how did she get that and it's like i know how she got it she just argued very convincingly in a very basic way that she was uniquely talented in a certain way she it's totally legitimate that's what the american government does no so, one do you, do you verb- like me you could i don't know you can if my lawyer was like honestly you can pretty much get any you just have to do you write it or do you like present do you like do this in front of like a immigration hearing you you actually apply by giving them a series of endorsement letters from people and like they're not going to go there and kill everybody yeah Um, yeah i had the cowboy from the village people randy jones he wrote me a letter (laughs) 
Um, it's like, and basically, it's like the heavier it is, the more convincing it's going to be because it's like they just gonna, don't read it. They're like, this is too much, but we imagine we that assume they have a lot of this is yeah. We assume this six pound stack of papers has got something in it, and so they, um, yeah, they that's what they that's what they let me in, um, and so I've been living here. Yeah, it's funny. It, it, my stepfather's. Um, was an American influence, his family, but I don't live in California. You know, they all live in California and it's like a separate kind of, I've done it in separate to them. Um, but that's, yeah, that's more or less how it was just like, I got to figure this out kind of thing. Did you ever yeah. end up like, uh, cause you kind of like separated with the church at a pretty early age. It sounds like, did you ever like entered? It seems like a, there's a lot of people who leave Christianity who then search for some other form of spiritualism in a different way. Like, do you I ever think, find yourself in that boat? You know, honestly, I think the I, I don't think there is an equivalence because I don't think that that kind of all encompassing set of answers is healthy or reasonable or rational. So, like, there are other things, and I I think that there's something to be said about creative process. Um, which is about kind of understanding your own voice and figuring out how you work. Um, I, I'm a writer, so it's like all sorts of like learning how to kind of write the most honest, best stuff is a is a is a skill, and it's often really weird. But I'm beholden. I can sometimes be beholden to that. That's something outside of me. Um, it's not a religion. It's not equivalent to that. It's just something that. I have to kind of get to know. I think there's something kind of quite meditative about that and validating and healthy. Um, but I'd never really, there's no, there's no, apart from my, possibly my angry atheist stage where I was like, fuck you. I've got all the answers. I can fucking break you all down. And then it was like, no, I, that's not it. This is just as dogmatic as somebody else. So. Um, Isn't it yeah. uh, like the, so after that phase, like I, I guess I could speak for myself when I it's like, I don't know the exact time or moment, but I remember just noticing one day how little I cared about feeling like I needed to know, like, of course I believe the things that I believe Every, you wouldn't believe them if you didn't, but like that, that like sigh of relief of like, Oh, you don't actually have to know this stuff to be okay. Like I felt like obsessed with knowing and learning. And like, and then I went in my, pro, like into like the progressive Christian world. And then, just like oh let me how how do the jews interpret their scriptures and then like you just i went in all these circles and then and i still find all that interesting and i i still like i still like learning about that but like it's become out of pure interest in in human understandings of things that you can never ultimately know and yeah it's not a battle to tool. That point of like yeah. this is just this is pursuit for pursuit's sake and we don't have to know it and we don't need, and you can't know it. And it, that stressed me out for a while, which was like the vigorous pursuit. You almost double down. And then I got to a point, and then it's one day I just re like recognized it. I'm like, Oh wait, I don't, I, so at some point this switched and I don't, I don't feel like I need to know to be whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's also, yeah, it's just about learning about the world more so than anything else. I, I, I still feel like I have to 
be prepared for that kind of thing. But, you know, just during the Trump administration, when you have all this nonsense shit coming at you all the time, you know, and it's actually being enacted, it's not also a good idea to watch The Handmaid's Tale while you're in the Trump administration. That's (laughs) not a healthy idea. I only Um, got through one season for that very reason. Truly just was such a smart programming decision for them, but, like, not for the mental health of anyone else. Um, But I think... Yeah, like ultimately, like with my cousin, when I I just went, I'm not engaging with you on this anymore. I think there's a part of me that still wants to go back and go, here's what I think is wrong with Jesus. I think the whole thing is immoral. I think, you know, scapegoating is immoral. Vicarious redemption is immoral. I think these things are terrible. I don't think that they're healthy for people. But I don't engage. I just, it's not a thing. Okay, you know. what's What's so crazy is like, the and this actually kind of goes back to that Matt Walsh advocating for quote unquote traditional marriage. He's like, but that if you say that, I don't think that's moral. They go, well, I think Jesus was God, therefore that makes it moral, and that means you're just refusing to accept the way that God puts it. But like, there's no, there is no winning, and I think it's that's so unsatisfying. One hundred percent. And with with Matt Walsh, one of the things that Rogan says to him, it was like. And I find Rogan's approach to it kind of just like, like I, he doesn't know how to talk to or deal with this type of thing. It's not, it's so out of his wheelhouse that I'm just like, this was a cringe conversation, but he's trying to talk to him about like, why do you like, he mentions, you know, how does it affect the institution of marriage when, you know, 50% divorce rate across the board, Christian or not. And it's like, you have, he, he, he's, he he specific Matt Walsh specifically says, yeah, like I think it's a problem. I think the church shouldn't allow for that. And I th- and that I'm like, yes. that's it. That bitch wants to live in Gilead. He wants Gilead. He, the yeah. church. He wants the church to be able to tell people what they can do. All under the where the free speech and freedom from tyranny and love of freedom and the Second Amendment and First Amendment. It's like it's a, you it's are a nothing so full answer. of shit. Is really what it is. <laughs> it's like crazy. It's like it's yeah. a nothing answer because that's only applicable until you're in the position. Yeah. That's how this works for everybody. That's how this works for everybody in those circles is mm-hmm. like, I mean, 50% of them come to the conclusion that like, oh, I've changed or my spouse has changed or this isn't what I thought it would be or I want to do something different or she wants to do something different. Like once they come to that conclusion – there's no part of them that wants some ruling body to force them to stick with it, you know? So, like, the best that somebody like that, I mean, the only way that you enact that sort of thing is just to throw those people out. And there are churches that do that. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's something that you guys experienced in your churches, but... I you wish know, they like, had, but I had already, <laughs> like... Because I would have been like, all right, bitches, I'm out of here anyway. But do you know what's so funny about this? I just remember this is kind of a brain fart thing, like watching, even my mom did this one time. I was buying this photography magazine that had lots of nudes in it, high quality, postmodern thought, but it was also obviously for shock value because it was like I was 19 or 18. I'm buying it for the article. I was was buying it for the article. I, I, I was, but I was also buying it for the like shock value. And I remember like saying to my parents, look, I'm going to get coffee and I'll meet you after church. And then I came in to meet them and I was carrying this magazine and my mother just looks at me and goes, um, could you put that behind your back, please? 
And I'm just like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going to just actually now hold this up. You're not that person at all. Like, that's so weird to me. Like, there's this, like, kind of quick reverting into that weird headspace because you're around those like-minded people. Yeah. Um, but then when they're outside of that, my mum would never do anything really she doesn't behave that way but it was an interesting out of character thing for her yeah that's how a lot of that gets held together it's like oh i I sometimes drink and it's like you go through a bottle of wine a night and then yeah like it's there is a lot of pretending it's like when you're it's you know what it is i got i realized i had a physical the other day and i realized that being asked how much i drink gave me the same feeling that I got when how much you drink would come up in church. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) My instinct is to lie about it immediately because I know that the following conversation isn't going to be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you find that you were actually instinctively aware of how much you were drinking? Oh yes. Okay. Cause during the pandemic I was like, Oh yeah, I drink like three nights a week and it was four cocktails a day for seven days. You know, like we were, everyone was doing this at the time and i'm like oh, yeah. i've lost track i need to like pull this back together oh yeah, yeah. no it's uh it's one of those things where you're just like it's like it, you don't think it's like you know but you don't think about it and you don't think about how it sounds until someone actually asks you and they're going to give you medical advice based on the information you provide and you're like oh okay yeah, <laughs> Maybe right, it's yeah, time right. for like a pullback here yeah right totally <laughs> yeah anyway well, man, this has been really cool. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, where can uh, where do you want to direct people? What do you want to? Uh, where, sh- where should people go find you? Well, um, yeah, my podcast that I do with Aaron Hosier, my friends Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Elizabeth Thompson. Aaron has been a guest on this yep. show. I listened to her episode. She's a phenomenal storyteller. Um, yeah, that is a wonderful. great episode. I I, re- I listened to it yesterday. Um, but my podcast, Tell Me About Your Father, is on all the platforms that you can f- uh, listen to podcasts. Um, and we have and you guys. Your recent guest was our our friend Jenna Perry. Yeah, that's right. I spoke with her. Aaron and I spoke with her. That is a bonkers story, isn't it? Crazy. <laughs> I mean, talk about somebody who just could not like. She just could not take. Wouldn't tolerate it. Like. That's actually one of our most popular episodes. Like it's the, one of our most downloaded episodes because people just love a story about a, a Christian yeah. one man. It's like true crime shit. That's like 100%. True, true crime. Like her life, her story could like, if they could find him, it would make a, that would make a full podcast on its own. Like his she, life. And she knew from the minute, like she knew from like a, like a toddler age, there was something off about her father. She just was like, I not, I'm not, I don't trust you. And then it, she just knew and she, it all played out and she was protecting herself the whole time. Of course she got, you know, you can't escape that completely, but what a story. Yeah, truly catch me if you can, but Christian and like, yeah. like, <laughs> like real, I guess. I mean, maybe that's based on truth too. Well, we like, we have the later in the year. Yeah. We have the daddy awards coming up every year. We give out like our own version of the Academy Awards, but it's all for, <laughs> Daddy. You know, like the, <laughs> the the agitated stiletto award for what, like the biggest, um, d- the deadbeat dad of the year award. Like it's it's all, <laughs> all deeply, it's all deeply and you know pop culturally referenced. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, so, and then we have an interview with um, author Catherine Schultz coming up and um, my friend Cody Sire, porn star Cody Sire is coming on our show, Daddy Issues, which is our, our editorial, our news vertical where we go through like the week in dad-based news. Um, so that it's a lot lighter than you would think. It's a lot funnier. It's a lot lighter, despite the fact that we talk about fathers. What? Um, what? Uh, so on the way uh, on the way back home today, I was listening to the episode that you did where you guys you talked to the psychic. Oh yeah, the woman who got in touch with my dead father's ghost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did I? Okay, because what did you think of that during the while it was happening? I mean, what? You how know, did you feel about that? Most of it, okay, so I think that the whole thing was like abstract therapy, okay? So, like, I didn't put a lot of stock in the idea that I was going to actually talk to my father, but I'm like, okay, if I got the chance to actually talk to my father, whom I, you know, like, who died before, just before I was four, like, what would I say? And what came up was this absolute rage. I was like, fuck you, I don't want to talk to you at all. That was interesting, unexpected. And then I went into this place where I was like, I'm not even going to ask him questions about himself. I just want to know what happens after you die so that I can debunk religion. Like, and I actually did say to her at one point, does God actually matter? Let's clear this up. You know, like, so I went in, I was open-minded. My therapist was like, nope, you got to be open-minded. She's a very pragmatic French atheist. And so she's like, I did this once. I was too guarded and I got nothing out of it. You need to be open-minded and just let this happen. She, she actually got a lot of stuff right, stuff I realized later that was much more correct than I realized. Um, she kept saying in the beginning, I'm getting a letter R, R, R. My father's name is Ross. Like, and I'm like, I have no idea what that could be. It's like she called that psychic amnesia. Um, there's a number of things like that where I'm just like, why did I not realize that? But I, I, I don't know how much I got out of it in terms of actually talking about my father, but it was interesting in the actual session where she just started describing what, you know, the afterlife was like. And I got really anxious that I was going to run out of time to actually ask my father a question. And it really became real for me. And I um, stopped her in the middle of what she was saying and went, I'm sorry, I just actually need to ask you, if, what does my father have to tell me? Literally anything, I would take anything. And it was interesting how much, I really got to that place where I was just like, I really do want to know what my dad would have to say to me. Cause I've never really, you know, I don't remember having a conversation with him apart from one recording when I was almost two. Um, I, you know, I love insight from my father, but I don't have any. So it was a really interesting experience like that. She's very kind and very pragmatic, actually pretty banal. A lot of the information, it wasn't earth shattering, mystical threshold of revelation stuff. It was like, well, your dad thinks you're kind of a bad driver. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, <laughs> I, I don't have a matter of opinion. I, I don't care. So yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I, would, I think I would have a hard time with it, but I would be like, hey, so uh, my dad's still alive, but can you get Chester Bennington up to uh, sing Points of Authority for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. Apparently, it's a it's a hierarchy, right? So it's a family based hierarchy. Um, so you can't just like be like, oh, Barbara Streisand's coming through once again, you know, like, oh, she's not dead, but you know, whatever, Judy Garland, you can't select who you want to talk to. <laughs> I don't Garland know. I would, the, the reason, uh, spiritual, uh, saliva in your eyes. 
and curses at you. Yeah, well, she was doing that to my friend Paul, who can imitate her perfectly, and he was doing a show where he was pretending to be her and do- performing her death every night, eight nights a week, and he kept having these nightmares where Judy Garland was like, would you just fucking leave me alone? <laughs> you know, like, that's so insane. But ultimately, you know, it's a cool thing to do, and we did it on Halloween for a Halloween show. I listened to your Halloween show where you're like, well, all the Christian influences come out with like, guys, don't celebrate Halloween. You're opening portals to hell. Precisely <laughs> what we were trying to do. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I don't know. It, it was more so about like, I learned I was maybe like angry that I never got to have a conversation with my father, you know, that kind of stuff. It wasn't so much like yeah. what I learned in the conversation itself. It makes sense in that, in that context. I feel like it would be hard to come into it, like open to those, that experience and not just like, you know, all right, I'm going to try to spot the magic trick here. Yeah, she said that um, a lot of straight guys come in and do that. And then she has them crying in 10 minutes because she can like. Okay, that's a challenge. Here we go. I you want to do it? Do it. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to know what your experience was. Like, um, I'll probably be crying in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like you talk about this stuff too. You talk about dead relatives you care about. It's not hard to become emotional. Um, uh, well, that's. That's where I got her. I don't care about any of my dead relatives. Well, yeah, I okay. Just kidding, oh, sorry, you're bulletproof. <laughs> you're right. Before, like, like I'm preparing for like emotional Thanksgiving, you know? Right. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's just like a horrible like. And another thing. Actually, my grandmother did tell me I should be marketing myself more. She was complaining. So, yeah. I, I caught that part. Your grandma seems judgmental. <laughs> Yeah, she she was. I'm like, thanks, great. Grandma, just be happy for me, all right? Yeah, I don't know. She was a stern taskmaster. She was born in 1906, so, you know. Um, anyway, it was a cool episode, actually. I got a lot of people calling me about it, which is when you know you've done an interesting episode, but yeah. it's like calling you, you know. So That's cool. Yeah. I th- Thanks, you guys. I, I really appreciate it. This was super fun. I yeah. The time that you spent... Um, substantial amount of time to give me so it's very generous of you we like the long form i feel like i feel like it takes like 30 minutes 40 minutes sometimes before you're like rolling and everyone's comfortable it's not like trying to trying to make something happen just letting something happen i I find that long form's fun we haven't had we get more complaints about how much we talk before the episodes than we do about the actual episode. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, the Mark Maron effect, where if you just do you have like that section at the beginning, it's like people would either love it or they hate it, kind of thing. Yeah, yep. yeah. We we found a few that don't particularly love it, but that's just fine. wait until things pop off and you get a thirty-minute manscaped ad at the beginning. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's what you want. Then they'll yeah. You're recording from well, Aruba. This was a lot of fun. It's great meeting you, Matt. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time.